What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 43 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention, head over to TwoBlackNerds.com right now to order some merchandise. We got t-shirts, crewnecks, hoodies, stickers, mugs, everything you need. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we will be talking about the brand new net. Netflix film Thunder Force starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer and as usual we will be breaking down the latest episode of The Falcon and The Winter Soldier episode 4 premiered this past week on Disney Plus. There's some news of the week that we of course have to get to pertaining to She-Hulk, pertaining to Shazam Fear of the Gods and of course another reboot is in the works and y'all know we gotta break down Wrestlemania 37, that's right WWE Wrestlemania went down this past weekend, the first time in front of fans in over a year so it was Mm-hmm. A big, big extravaganza, a really exciting event. But before we get to any and all of that, we will be starting off this week's show the same way that we actually ended last week's show. Um, and we're going to actually spend some time talking today about the life and legacy of DMX, um, born as Earl Simmons. And as you all probably know, if you're listening to the show, um, DMX, iconic rapper and just legendary hip hop figure passed away this past week, um, this past Friday, actually, April 9th, at the age of 50. Um, Now, we know, as we talked about on this show last week, that he was having some health problems, and ultimately he had a heart attack that put him in the hospital, and he ended up on life support for quite a few days. But unfortunately, a miracle could not be produced. He was not able to recover from the, the irreparable damage that happened 
We only receive minimal updates throughout the week, mostly just hearing about some of the lack of progress that was happening really with just his, his stability and his condition, um, the fact that he wasn't having really much brain activity, um, some of his organs were failing, so it was looking really, really bad for, for DMX, unfortunately, and mm-hmm. we talked about that last week and, you know, just obviously hoping that some sort of miracle would perhaps, you know, help him pull through in, in some sort you know some sort of fashion, but that unfortunately did not occur, and we, we did lose DMX this past week, so we obviously want to spend some time today talking about just, you know, really what he meant to us. And again, you know, a lot of this we did cover last week, but I think it's 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 obviously the most appropriate to do it now that we have officially we um, we, we, we have lost him, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we will spend some time today just sort of reflecting on all of the things that he contributed, whether it was, you know, to the music game or, you know, films, just all the, you know, the, the, the great things that he did and how much he's meant to us, you know, sort of in our upbringing and, and just living with him as, as one of these, these iconic rappers. Um, but again, DMX born December 18th, 1970. Um, as you all know, he was one of the most successful rap artists of the late 90s, early 2000s, so much so that he ended up being the first artist ever to debut an album at number one five times in a mm. row on the Billboard 200. I, that's not just rapper, y'all. That is the first artist to ever do that. Crazy. Um, he, he was on an incredibly hot run during his peak, so much so that he sold over 74 million records mm. worldwide. So just an incredible, incredible reach across the board. I mean, we talk about streaming numbers these days, and it still it still seems a little hard to quantify. But yeah. you know, I want to toss it over to you really quickly about just like – not only you know what did DMX mean to you, but just also his impact in music. It, it was a it was an incredibly bright fire that burned mm-hmm. for him. It didn't burn that long, but the amount of time that it did burn. I mean, he was he was he was hotter than than than, than no other artist really during during his peak, right? Like he had he had just like some of the most successful years in hip hop that we can really remember. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just think about when we were kids, right? Uh, you, you, we've always seen, I don't know, whatever we were watching at the time, 106 in Park, whatever MTV videos, what, how, how often even DMX was just on the television at that time. I mean, I remember seeing all kind of music videos, again, whether if it's X gonna give it to you or just really much anything, man. I mean, he was on TV all the time. Uh, if you remember, even when his movie started to come out, right? Um, everybody knows the hood movie Belly. I mean, Belly is, it's, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but it's still a classic <laughs> because it has one of the greatest opening scenes of a film we've ever seen still, you know, it's yes. Hype Williams doing, you know, and it's legendary and you, it's so easy to think about DMX, like that's DMX right there, right? Um, and and then again, we're, I'm, we're still younger here when Romeo Must Die comes out, right? And he, again, even outside of music, like you're still thinking about, dang, like I was really seeing DMX all the time when I was younger. Like it was like a very... Um, a very just established period that's like clearly was him like if like 98 to 2003 whatever that mm-hmm. something like in that area that's the dmx time like that is those are his years um and rightfully so man he was really out here doing it um so th- that's that's kind of you know how i remember it at least from my childhood you know yeah no absolutely you touched on a lot of great stuff there and i think even you know going back to him becoming who he was, you know, in 1998, hip hop was in a very, very interesting place at that time. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. 
the notorious B.I.G. and Tupac had both, you know, been murdered and yeah. were out of the scene. Those were our two biggest artists at that time. So there was clearly a void, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Nas was on the scene, but he was just starting to like really boil yep. over commercially. Jay. Like mm-hmm. Jay was there. He was starting to boil over really big. Um, but I, I think a lot of people have pointed this out on social media. Um, and, and if you existed during that time, if you lived during that time, you could remember it that you know, pre-1998, pre-DMX really making his splash. That was the shiny suit, mm-hmm. jiggy era of hip-hop, right? <laughs> yeah. Very much, very much, uh, and the charge of that was very much led by uh, Sean Diddy Combs, of course. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. sort of in this period of, you know, transitioning to becoming a solo artist while also still paying, you know, homage to Biggie and all those different things. But his formula that he found out is just, you know, becoming an artist, like transitioning from like a full producer to an artist was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take all of these really well-known samples that people grew up with and they know these songs and they love them and I'm going to use them, but I'm going to use them to my benefit and create these new hip hop modernized versions of like these really classic black songs. Yeah. But even more so than that with his music videos, I mean, it was just they were just completely over the top. Like, you know, the money and the wealth was on full display. Mm-hmm. The clothes and the fashion absolutely sort of represented the 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 the, the life the lifestyle that a lot of these artists, you know, lived and had access to because there was more money in hip hop at that time that had you know had ever been before before yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. People were making the most money that they ever could. So it was, I think it was a time of, you know, just sort of like wealth and extravagance, you know, mm-hmm. and doing those things and, and people embrace that. But hip hop also, we know is a, is an art form of, of truths for a lot mm-hmm. of artists. It, it's sure. about a reflection of their, 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 their upbringing, where they come from, their hometowns, their hoods, whatever it might be. And we didn't really have a lot of that at that specific time. Mm-hmm. And then DMX comes out of nowhere. Right. And in 1998 drops two albums that just completely took over the game and just like ushered in a, a completely new era of hip hop. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it was also still somewhat familiar because you had like, he had this energy of like a Tupac, but still his style was completely distinctive and on its own. He had the energy of a Tupac, but he also, I think he made the splash on the scene of like a Snoop Dogg of just like how pop- popular he was when he came yeah. out mm-hmm. and things just, you know, were never the same after that. So I think even his place in, the pantheon of artists you know of hip-hop artists that we remember is just like something that's always going to be it, it was kind of a it was a big transitional period and he 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 really led the way it's no other way to put it i mean he was mm-hmm. he was from new york but he was from yonkers you know he, mm-hmm. so it was outside of like the traditional five boroughs you know yeah, and typically we look at the bronx and brooklyn and queens is like the hip-hop meccas but here comes this yonkers artist mm-hmm. um just again out of nowhere and right. as you mentioned last week helps saves a record label and mm-hmm. launches a, a whole new movement with Rough Riders. Like all of these things happened in five years. Uh, so it's just crazy. It's just really crazy to think about just like his place in, in hip hop history. Yeah, even even more crazy. Um, you know, we love DMX because he was he was probably easily one of the most vulnerable rappers we've ever seen. Like his, and also, of course, we love rappers a lot of times from their life stories, right? Um, what they did came from when they were younger, how they sold drugs, this and that. But DMX went through it, y'all. I mean, like, when I say this man went through it, I mean, he went through it. Like, I'm pretty, when he was little, he had asthma, right? He used to go to the hospital all the time because he had asthma. Like, he would just wake up and not be able to breathe. That's one thing. At first, he was raised as a Jehovah Witness, but what happened was he was hit by a drunk driver while crossing the street, and then 
he's he had fights with his with his faith after that. He was he just was was slightly turning after that. Uh, when he was a teenager, maybe not even teenager yet, he was being beat by his mom, which is actually why when he was four, around fourteen years old, that's when he started living on the streets of Yonkers to avoid abuse from his mother. Um, and then he started sleeping uh, in Salvation Armies. Um, he started sleeping in Salvation Army clothes. Uh, he was, he was, um, started befriending stray dogs, which is where this comes from, right? Like his, his per- persona of the dog, right? Um, and what, w- what he did at one point, first of all, a lot of people don't know, he was really good at track. He was fast as hell. He's like the second fastest person in track and field, but his, his grades are terrible and he never went to school. So what he did was he turned, he started robbing people to get out of poverty, I mean, again, it's, it's just a crazy story. This is just, he's still a teenager, right? Think about how long we've been alive. And he's, this man's not even, he's probably like 16 here. I don't know. Who knows? But he turns to robbery. And the first things he does is he after he, he, he snatches a purse or whatever, he gets a thousand bucks and he balls a dog collar and a dog harness for his dog and a pair of Tim's. If that's not the most New York shit you have ever heard, I don't know what is. Like the man first robbery, he gets some yuttas and a dog collar. I mean, come on, dog. Um, he was just he was just different, you know. But it's it's stuff like that, like stories like that, that even he wouldn't necessarily be ashamed to tell, right? Um, he he he'd be comfortable with telling it. He wanted people to know his demons. Um, that way people, one, understood knew where he was going and people understood why he was where he was in the first place. So I, I, it, he just really had a crazy life um, that, you know, we we have to talk about. And it didn't stop there, right? I mean, uh, he, he was in jail 30 times. 30 times? Can you imagine getting arrested 30 times? I don't have time for once. 30 times. Yeah, that's, that's just... Uh uh, to your point, his uh, his level of um, honesty and realness and everything that he did, uh, he he just never shied away from 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 talking about this type of stuff, which mm-hmm. is it's a really respectable thing because he had a lot of issues. I mean, his entire life was uh, crazy. He was dealing with some really troubling stuff all mm-hmm. the time. He never he's never ever really had a time to I think just rest and not have to deal with any of this stuff yeah. whether it's past childhood trauma or just the current you know present day issues that he may have been you know dealing with or, or addiction legal issues all of this stuff uh and even still to persevere and to have such a successful career yeah. um to to the level that he did but also his level of, of faith as well yeah. that he, he never shied away from. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, you know, I, I remember that like in terms of like hip hop, he was one of the first people that I really remember ever like referencing any sort of faith, belief in God, Christianity, any Absolutely. of that, you know, in his music, yep. like actually having prayers like within his music and actually like mm-hmm. sort of speaking these these like sermons and things of that stuff. And, and, and he always, he always maintained that. And that was something mm-hmm. that I just, I really respect it regardless of like whether or not you agree with it or you, you know, uh, subscribe to, to what he believes in just the fact that again, he never shied away from that. And he always yeah. made that a part of his identity and, and his music because it was actually who he was. That, that was something that I, I also always really respected about him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know, he also, I mean, to go off the faith, man, he was a lover. Like, he just loved the people around him. Um, what, he got, what, 15 kids? I mean. Yeah, yeah, 15. Uh, 15 kids, man. You'll actually see them, like, all the time. 
um, whether it's social media or whatever's going on. You, I mean, you just, they'll just pop up and be like, oh, there's another one of DMX kids. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, he, he, he never really shied away from that part of him either. Um, him, you know, having, uh, I, w- I would say a family, but technically it's low-key, like multiple families <laughs> in, a, in a way. He got a lot of kids, y'all. Uh, <laughs> but it was, he, 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 w- he was a man of love for sure, um, is all I'm trying to say. And he, uh, he, was, he was different in that way too, man. Uh, he was, there's a lot of rappers who will, one, shy away from their, their faith um, and shy away from, honestly, they're, they're children. Um, put mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, Drake. No, I'm just playing. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> no, nah, but that's just you know that was just him, man. And it was it was always great to see. Um, I've even seen clips of him in the past couple of days where he'll be on a, a talk show. And he's like, "Let me say this prayer," and everyone's just engaged in prayer in that moment. They, I'm I'm sure they didn't you know ask him to do that, and and they just went with it because you know that's that's the kind of presence that DMX had. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the last things that I, you know, that I'm really appreciative of, uh, it's, just, it's just the fact that this year in particular, um, or excuse me, the past year, I should say 2020, um, but what is time? 2020 in particular, we, we, we got to spend a little bit more time with DMX than normal. Um, he, he, did a, he did a couple of appearances that I think really reminded people of how important he was you know he had his uh interview that he did on drink champs with nori which was a big hit and talked about obviously a ton of stuff on that and we know that you know that that's a really popular platform a lot of folks tune into that but even more so like the verses that he did with snoop dogg last summer um happened july 22nd that was just a great opportunity again for us to to celebrate his career and yeah. everything that he's that he's given us and uh I'm glad I'm glad that those things happened at least that we mm-hmm. that we at least got those moments within the context of whatever they were at the time whether it was verses or an interview to just like celebrate and 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 be happy like damn look at look at all this great music that mm-hmm. he gave us right like remember that song and that song and that song like these really tangible moments that I I know I can go back and always remember just how mm-hmm. important and integral his music was to my to my upbringing um you know I hate to put you on the spot, and I know there there's not one, but favorite songs, you know, just to I think to just sort of like wrap up this conversation about him as as a man and, and his career. Well, what are some of like your most memorable and favorite DMX DMX tracks that that you'll always you'll always have with you for the rest of your life? Oh man, I'm basic. Um, I love what these bitches want, bro. That's probably my favorite DMX song. Hey, it's, it's incredible. It is great. It's hilarious. I mean, it's it's just such a big mix of like comedy and like good music <laughs> in that song um, that I have to enjoy it. Um, other than that, man, uh, I also love. Um, man, I like a lot of songs. Um, and five number one albums. I mean, you can't really you can't really go wrong with picking. I know. I know. For me, like. Uh-huh. Um, Get at me, dog. It's something just yep. crazy about that song, and, mm-hmm. and that's on his first album. That's on "Is Dark and Hell Is Hot," and like for him to come with that type of energy so early, it's like this is a statement. You know what I'm saying? Like I think yeah. it just like reaffirms that idea of like his place in hip hop. We didn't hear anything like that. It didn't really sound like anything um, for the most part. And just that energy and aggressiveness was crazy. Um, also off that album, "Niggas and Started Something." That's another favorite. I agree mm-hmm. with you. What these bitches? How it, That's a how is how how's it going down? Is my joint. That's how's a good it going song. down? Is great. Yeah, you know, yeah. A lot um, of songs, man. 
man, so many, so many. Uh, what's my name? You know, I, I mm-hmm. think he is, and you know, he, this this isn't a favorite, but it it has to be the most. I mean, I don't have anything to prove this, but it has to be like the one of the most used songs in in movies. Party up has mm. been used in so many like movies or TV shows. Like I can't tell you. I'm actually honestly transparently i love i love dmx's music but i i I cannot listen to party up like ever on my own because it's just been (laughs) overplayed so much in so many movies understandably i mean that was that was kind of his it was it was the biggest record from his biggest album you know Mm -hmm. and then it was x like it it, it makes sense that it was used so much but damn they they played that but then also man x gonna give it to you it's something about that i mean it's 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 always gonna be the one you know like it's just always gonna be the one i love slipping because that song is real well, I say so he, um, DMX slipping. Um, he was just, bro, different. And then, uh, Absolutely. yeah, bro, he was great. Where the hood? Where the hood? Where the hood? At? That's my <laughs> that's my joint too. Um, yeah, yeah, lots of them, lots of them. So, man, it's a shame, you know, to lose such a such an iconic force in 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 the landscape of hip hop and rap and that in mm-hmm. that culture. Um, it's really sad, especially for him to to go at at fifty. Really, yeah. just just an early age, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just entering in his fifties, and I know he was working on music, um, making another album. Um, so maybe maybe we'll get to have that and hear that one day. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, um, certainly a life gone too soon. Although we can certainly say that he 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 contributed a huge amount while he was here. I mean, he made yeah. he made his time special and he made it worth it. And we'll never forget him. You know, we'll never forget DMX, we'll never forget Earl Simmons and everything that he contributed to 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 this culture of 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 rap, you know, and um mm-hmm. I think I think with all of that, you know, definitely sending those condolences and thoughts to all of his family and loved ones because he touched yes. so many lives and people have been putting out these tributes, which has been really good to see yeah. um, from people that were close to him, but Definitely a life, a life, a lot, a lot, a lot of pain, a lot mm-hmm. of pain, a lot of suffering. Unfortunately, you know, I yeah. wish he had more peace, mm-hmm. um, but he's at peace now, you know. And I think we can, I think we can at least hopefully acknowledge that he's at peace now. And he doesn't have to deal with the demons that, that that have been going on throughout his life. Absolutely, well said, man. So with that said, y'all, we're going to go ahead and transition to the regular part of our show. Um, Thank you for sticking with us through that. Had to, of course, pay our respects to DMX. But we're going to go ahead and move on and get to our reviews of the week. And first up, we got to talk about the latest film that just dropped on Netflix, Thunder Force. Hi, I'm here to see Emily Stanton. Do you have an appointment? I'm her best friend. We're not currently what I would say best friends or friends. You look good. You look great. What have you been up to? Let me show you. I've been developing a genetic platform that will allow us to give ordinary people superpowers. But do me a favor, please. Don't touch anything. God, Lydia, do you have any idea what you've done? You just took our only formula for super strength. Everything about you will become stronger. Oh, I am all powerful! 
Do chicks have groins? <laughs> What's your superpower? Invisibility. That's awesome. Let's see what these powers can really do. Everyone just stay calm and no one's gonna get hurt. Em, <laughs> stop! <laughs> You're cooking them from the inside out! Oh, man. Please don't film this, sir. It's a mistake! Thunder Force, remember it. For the first time in history, we're seeing real-life superheroes fighting crime. I play dirty. But we're also seeing a new kind of criminal. This city deserves what's coming to it. Boom. It's go time. Oh, we've got to rethink this car. Yeah. How can we not stop two chicks in their 40s? What's that smell? It's the suits! We can't wash them! Lydia, do not throw that bus. I can't hear you because I'm literally throwing a bus! I'm sorry. That's on me. The hell are you? You'd think cancer. But uh, Capricorn actually, Sag Moon, and all kinds of things rising. That's messed up. So Thunder Force is written and directed by Ben Falcone and is starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, as well as Jason Bateman, Bobby Cannaval, Pom Klimatiev, and Melissa Leo. Now, again, this film just came out on Netflix just this past week. We also held a Two Black Nerds movie night as well to, to, to watch this film. I did not get a chance to see it. So, man, I'm going to go ahead and just pass it over to you. Have you take the floor to talk about Thunder Force? What did you think about this movie? Yes. First of all, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> not that I'm sorry. Two Black Nerds movie night is a uh, you know it's commonly used you know to to watch movies together that none of us have seen before, which is what I like to do nowadays. You know, um, try to, some 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 with some black leads, you know, potentially, and hopefully they're good. This one, oh boy, it is not good to put it plain and simple, y'all. Oh. I mean, um, so first, of course. Both, I have to say, Melissa McCarthy and um, Octavia Spencer, they are great. I love them both. Um, this was not it for them. There were, there were so many things and uh, so many statements they could have made with this film, um, but they did not, right? Um, they're, they're, uh, one, they're real friends. Apparently, it's a real thing that uh, um, Octavia Spencer caught the bouquet at Melissa McCarthy's wedding. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't know that. Yeah, I had no clue. Apparently, it's like a real thing. Apparently, they are like actual real friends, um, which is kind of the base of the movie. They're like childhood friends or whatever. Um, and in the movie, uh, Octavia Spencer's character is really smart. Melissa McCarthy's is not so, uh, not as bright, I guess I should say. Um, she doesn't have the the tenacity that Octavia Spencer's parent or Octavia Spencer does um, because she's like motivated by her parents' death. And she wants to be really smart to not fall into the same bucket that her parents did. In fact, her parents' goal was to become, make something to become super, superheroes. And so after they died trying to do those experiments, she set out to do the exact same thing. Um, what happens is they grow old. Melissa McCarthy's feeling lonely. She finds Octavia Spencer's character. It's like a, uh, a high school reunion or something coming up. She finds her and... Uh, she she goes into Octavia Spencer's lab, 
Octavia Spencer graduated college. She's making money at this point. And so it was like a really nice establishment. Melissa McCarthy, being as silly as she is, stumbles upon a lab and a bunch of needles and goes into Melissa McCarthy. She's yelling. And apparently she accidentally took the first dose of something to make her super. And that is kind of what this movie is about. Mm. Um, The dose was originally intended for Octavia Spencer's character uh, because, again, that was her goal to make her super. Um, but there was actually two two kind of different uh, treatments they were going to do. Melissa McCarthy got one on accident, and then Octavia Spencer took the second dose. Um, Melissa McCarthy's gave her uh, super strength, and Octavia Spencer's gave her invisibility, and that is how they become Thunder Force. They have two different powers, um, and that's what they do. So uh, the movie again is supposed to be really funny. I mean, it's Melissa McCarthy. Skip whoever else is in the movie. If she's in the movie, it's probably supposed to be funny. Um, and there are a couple moments that are that have you know you you might get a chuckle or two, right? <laughs> um, but this movie looks like it was more fun to make than it was for us to watch. Mm. If that makes sense, um, it 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 kind of it goes for a cheap laugh, and then you end up kind of not laughing. Like there's a moment in this movie where Melissa McCarthy is doing like some. Steve Urkel, did I do that? But she does it for like five minutes, and it it's just really weird. Oh, no. I mean, uh, it it's 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 really weird. Um, but again, they had they had a chance to make something great here, and they just didn't do it. I mean, uh, they're they're two uh bigger wo- women, right? Like, and that I thought that was the message. I thought that was all kind of body body positivity things was going to come out of this. Mm-hmm. I thought all kind of um, another co- uh, one of the best characters actually is Octavia Spencer's daughter, uh, and she's like a teenage black girl. But I thought there was like some image things that were going to come out of it. Sure. You know, both black girls and big girls can be super. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say though? Like those statements could have been made um in a lot of different ways, and they could have gave us some cool action. But none of that really existed. Almost everything was just falling flat. Um, in the film, that it's like small effort. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just full of jokes that don't hit. It's really what it is. The movie's absolutely too long. Like the first forty five minutes, nothing is happening. Mm. I mean, um, uh, someone actually told me they said they said I could have just got a, a Star Wars reel for the first hour, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then they could start the movie there. And I was like, yeah. no, that's absolutely true. Um, because it's I just, it was like an hour forty five. It didn't need to be. Uh, I will say the. One thing that was kind of funny was um, Jason Bateman's in the film, and he is a crab. He his arms he has crab arms. <laughs> uh, you know, I saw a photo of that, and I, I I didn't. I was like, what's what's going on here? Is this like a meta human so or what's happening? Yeah, that's just him. He got like into an accident or something. I don't know, but he he was probably one of the funnier parts just because it's how silly it was but it was like he didn't have to overdo it mm-hmm. uh there were like small things and i think that's what the film was full of them trying to overdo it and the and the jokes weren't hitting so yeah uh it, again it doesn't it doesn't resolve that well it's very predictable it just wasn't as good as we needed it to be so that's thunder force man yeah that's a shame um two extremely talented actors um 
mm-hmm. two of our most talented, really, you know, in Hollywood. Yeah, and they are, they're crazy, both of them. They they get together, and it's just not a good product that comes out in the end. Um, mm-hmm. But you said something really interesting that it was probably really fun to make. This might have just been this might have just been that project that they both decided because they are real friends in life. Like they actually mm-hmm. are good friends. They probably just said like we we have to do something together, right? We have to just like make a movie yeah. together, and mm-hmm. sometimes that'll produce something that's just not the best produced thing you've ever seen and also like i know the writer himself he doesn't have all that much experience like he's done like Mm. he's done like writing for the looney tunes and a couple of like tv episodes but nothing else really like he's also acted like he was also he was in um can you forgive me um can you ever forgive me Mm -hmm. with melissa mccarthy yeah um so Maybe that was also something to do with it. I mean, to your point about like just like the comedic value of it, but it, I, also just you know, even on a higher level, like how many how many comedies you know within like superhero films really work outside of Marvel, sort of making that for, making that their formula. Um, we don't That's see true. it happen all that often with other films, and when they try it, it doesn't really work. And I I don't know what mm-hmm. it is about. It, I mean, it has to be the writing with you know the Marvel Studios films. It just ha- it has to come down to that. It can't be anything mm-hmm. else. The writing and also the talent and delivery of the actors behind it. But um, that's true. The fact that this is like leaning so heavily into being a comedy, but also a superhero film, and it just doesn't work from what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a I think that's an area that just still has yet to be figured out outside of that Marvel formula. So somebody got to break mm. somebody got to break into their lab and figure it out, bro. Somebody got to go into Marvel Studios and be like, "Hey man, how y'all make these so funny? Is it is it yeah, is it yeah. literally the writers y'all got? Is it just Robert Downey? Is it what what's going on?" But they've done it, you know, consistently for so long. Uh, for sure. So they've proven that, you know, they they know how to do it and I think those True. have proven to be some of the most successful. The 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 action infused with the comedy. Mhm. They can ask kick ass. <laughs> that too. They can ask, Deadpool. you know, I don't know. Deadpool. Yeah. They can ask them. Uh, shoot, they, they go ask the Lego movie. That's almost the same thing. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Because they knocked it out the park. So, yeah, I, it could just be, again, it's bad writing. It could just be bad writing. Yeah, and, man, Melissa and Octavia are some interesting points in their careers. Because, like, they still make good stuff, mm-hmm. but then occasionally they have these, mm-hmm. like, why'd you do that? Like, can you ever forgive me? Just came out a few years ago. Great movie, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But right after that, she did the kitchen, and we—I mean, oh boy—we know how that performed. It it didn't perform well at all, you know. And then you yep. have like you have like Octavia, who she does like she went from like hidden figures, yeah, to yeah, to Ma, to Ma, to uh, she was also <laughs> in Doolittle, you know. She 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 had a voice part there. She was. But then she was in The Witches, which is decent. Yeah, Witches, witches was, decent. was decent. Yeah, so. so interesting spots that they're at. I, I mean, they might Shape of Water. What? Yeah, <laughs> that was just a few years ago too. I think I think they're just trying to what it feels like, and I and I don't blame them at all for this, especially Octavia, because Octavia's mm-hmm. been active for so long, and she was just doing so many bit parts for so many years, where it's like you yeah. knew who that was, but you didn't know her name, and then obviously she broke mm-hmm. through later on, but. It just mm-hmm. seems like they're trying to really diversify their work. I think that's kind of the thing. Like whether it's like voice acting, comedy, serious roles, horror in some mm-hmm. cases, drama, crime. Um, I don't blame them for that, but yeah, I, I guess overall it's just, it, it does come down to picking it's a the risk. scripts. Yeah, it's it's very risky. Yeah, that's a risk. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to pick 
pick the right scripts for that type of stuff too. Like if you're gonna bounce around and not want to be typecast, because I could see I could see the, the the urge to push up against that. But it is risky because you actually have to make sure like if you're doing genre movies, there's a there's a bit of a I don't know how to say it. There's a bit there's a bit of an expectation there that it's not going to be as good as probably as like your prestige drama, right? So mm-hmm. if you're doing right. something within horror or animation or comedy or whatever the case may be, I think you have to l- have a little bit more scrutiny about the type of project that you're going to take on. So um, it'll just be interesting to see what they do next. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to still seeing obviously both of them work, but shame that For this sure. wasn't that good. Yeah, no boy, no. Well. Those are Desmond's thoughts on Thunder Forest. If you've checked out the film, <laughs> hit us up at Two Black Nerds on social media. Let's go ahead and transition and talk about The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Of course, as we do each and oh, every yeah. week, episode four just premiered on Disney Plus this past Friday. And episode four is entitled The Whole World is Watching. Now, mm. this was um, this was quite quite a showcase of, I think, the potential of what these Disney Plus series can be. I'll start off by saying that. And I'm going to get to your high-level thoughts, too, on this in a second before we do spoilers. But I, I overall, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a great mm-hmm. episode. The best of the series thus far, in my opinion. Um, there was a nice blend of storytelling that's moving the story forward and also some really good action. Mm-hmm. But action that's meaningful. You know, it's not just people fighting... Um, which sometimes, like, I'm like, I'm cool with, you know. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, let's just, let's just, let's just see some action. Let's just cut, just cause, like, what we saw in like episode one with Falcon chasing down um, that organization that had Batroc the Leaper hasn't had any implications thus far since that. So mm-hmm. it seems like it probably was just like an, another action sequence, which I was fine with because we got to see, we got to see Falcon yeah. utilize his powers. But here, the action actually was extremely integral to the story all the sequences mm-hmm. um but but it was great man it was just so great obviously picking up from last week uh with the appearance of io and then just how that you know sort of carried over into this week for the story um mm-hmm. zemo had some really good stuff here john walker of course which we will get to carly her character and the development there and all the pieces are really in play now and um i think with like at the time last week with three episodes left, it was like, wow, they're already halfway through. Like, how are they going to really get this to where it needs to be to have a satisfying conclusion? This episode did what it needed to do in my eyes. So I really enjoyed it. What'd you think about it? Uh, yeah, I, when it comes to these shows, man, I, we're usually on the same page. Uh, I definitely feel like it was the best of the series so far. Uh, I think it was a really good mix um, of action and story. Uh, it gave me everything, almost everything I needed. I mean, you you said it, man. The, from the appearance of I.O. to um, again, just everything that transpired, it was good. <laughs> I really don't have much to say outside what you said. It's literally echo your exact same thoughts, man. It, I liked it a lot. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. We are going to do spoilers mm-hmm. for this episode as we always do. So if you've not watched episode four of the falcon and the winter soldier go ahead and duck out right now go to disney plus fire that thing up watch it watch it because it's so it's so worth watching and come back and listen to our thoughts on this episode so where i want to start off because we left off episode three with the appearance of io she confronted bucky because obviously the wakandans found out Bucky, you freed Zemo. What the hell are you doing? We're we're here for him. Like we are here to to reprimand this person that killed our king, um, all those years ago. 
And so this week's episode actually picks up with a flashback, which was really interesting. And it takes us back six years ago, which would have placed Mm -hmm. us in, I think, about 2017, because this is supposed to be 2023 or 2024, you know, after the blip. So six years ago, 2017, 2018, when Bucky was in Wakanda um, and Steve had taken him to Wakanda and they were really helping him sort of recover from his Winter Soldier programming. And we see in this scene that Io and Bucky, they are around a campfire on the outskirts of Wakanda and Mm -hmm. Io starts to say the cadence of words that triggers Bucky's Winter Soldier programming. Um, Really is a test to see whether or not he was going to, you know, sort of conform to his natural inhibitions of being the Winter Soldier or if he had finally broken free from that curse, really, that, that he had been mm-hmm. living with for 70 plus years. And we see in this really, really emotional scene as she's saying all these words, we're seeing flashbacks from other MCU films with with his appearances, which is so great that they can always call back to that stuff. Like we're seeing him from the first Avenger. We're seeing him from Winter Soldier Civil War. And then finally she gets through the entire sequence and we find out that Bucky is finally free. This is the moment where he is free and he is no longer um, sort of bound by his Winter Soldier programming. Um, Mm -hmm. But this really sort of ties in the Dora Milaje and how important they are to this episode. Because again, they're after Zemo, right? And so Mm -hmm. at a certain point in the episode, the Dora Milaje show back up. Because they warned Bucky, you have eight hours. You, We will give you eight mm. hours to figure out whatever you got to figure out, but we're coming for him. And they show mm-hmm. up and they confront Zemo, Bucky, Falcon, John Walker's there, Battlestar is there. And there's this yeah. whole action sequence where the Dora Milaje are fighting specifically John Walker and Battlestar, Lamar Hoskins. Sensational. And eventually... Sam and Bucky hop in. Zemo finds his way out, as as he typically does. He finds a way to to, to escape the situation. But this was a great action sequence, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What what did you think about all of that as it unfolded, and also just like starting it off with that important contextual information about Bucky and his relationship to Wakanda? Yeah. So, um, of course, the purpose of the opening scene, right, uh, with Io and Bucky, was to uh, again establish that emotional relationship um, between the two. Um, and even, you know, the, the, the heavy involvement with Io, his reconditioning, um, specifically after Steve had to drop him off <laughs> for w- w- Wakandan summer camp. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and so, it, you know, it brings us here kind of kind of to this moment. And it's it's interesting how the Internet kind of took to this. Right. I mean, there's like. First of all, what I love most about this scene is it breaks down both just the whatever is going on through white men's mind all the time. Like, I'm pretty sure white mediocrity in the workplace, men all over the world just felt this scene completely. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure it hurt their feelings Very and revealing. it's great. You know, I, lo- I loved every bit of it. Um, because there was like a tweet, right? So there's, so there's a very specific scene in this fight scene we have to talk about, right? Where um, Io it comes into contact with Bucky real fast, and she literally dismantles his arm. So the Wakandans have a fail safe. Well, first, first remember that this arm is 100% vibranium and from Wakanda. That is where Bucky got this arm from. So as she is fighting Bucky. She literally dismantles his arm 
mid debacle, whatever you want to call it, mid fight. Um, and it, the reason it, it turned the internet up earlier, a couple of days ago, today, yesterday, I don't know when, but this guy, of course, a white man, said the Wakandans putting a built in weakness in Bucky's arm is really messed up. It shows they never truly trusted him. He spent years trying to finally reclaim his autonomy, only to be undermined in an instant by those who helped. It's just sad, says this guy, who was probably rooting for U.S. agent the entire time. <laughs> I, I <laughs> As soon as, because, uh, yeah, whatever. But he's an idiot, because um, the whole purpose again of that opening scene was to establish the relationship anyways bucky's break was breaking a bunch of rules that he knows was against the door melage um and we've seen the repercussions here right it's 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 really interesting to think that they he you know what i'm trying there's just it doesn't make any sense there's a lot of rules that bucky broke and the door melage ain't playing that shit yeah. and they here to to take what's theirs Exactly. I mean, it, it, it well, it reinforces the fact like it completely reinforces the idea of why they put a fail safe in the arm to begin with. Exactly. Like, yes, we trust you. Yes, you you were one of us for for X amount of years. Yes, we now deem you the white wolf. We have respect for you. Obviously, like they fought side by side against Thanos like that has been established. Mm-hmm. If anybody watched those films, you know this like he has a relationship with IO. He has a relationship with Shuri. He was thankful. They kept him there in their home when they didn't have yeah. to. I mean, mm-hmm. what more could you want? Really, what more could you want? And why would a fighting force, a fighting task force that is charged with the protection of not only their king specifically, like the Dora Milaje, yeah. but also really Wakanda as a whole. They are there to protect you know, Wakanda and, and that entire e- economic infrastructure and that system who creates and sure you know she's a scientist who creates technology that they don't have any control over that exactly that doesn't make any sense which is it's like you're mad that the wakandans put a fail safe in their own technology this other way it would never be used against them but w- what is age of ultron about again oh okay tony stark did what okay never mind um uh, it's, it's really interesting how you know people feel a certain way about wakandans and how they interact with whatever their favorite characters. White, but white it's ones. like Wakand- white, white ones. Yeah. Because, you know, Wakandans right now are the only black people in the entire MCU that are written to put themselves first, right? I mean, the whole time. Like, when, even the death of the T'Shaka, T'Challa's like, hell no, fuck this country. I'm going to get the nigga that killed him. This is for us. You know, that's what they've always been. And, you know, the end of Black Panther kind of is them kind of taking that, that that veil back a little bit right but here we are with somebody they're supposed to trust bucky you know break breaking again some of those rules that if anybody should know he should know you know and that's just it, it, it really was just a glimpse uh this whole scene was like a glimpse into what um you, you know the, the fragility of whiteness in a lot of different ways you know and it's how salty john was he was like they're not even super soldiers. <laughs> that was my favorite part because he was hurt. He was his feelings was hurt. I loved it. I need that on repeat. <laughs> play that. It was like white tears play that forever. Yeah, I mean that 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 idea is 
it, it's pertinent throughout this entire series, really with John Walker's character, which we will talk about him more, of course. But in that specific scene, it reaffirmed his insecurity. And there is mm-hmm. a specific place within him that exists uh, that that is insecure and does not meet his own personal standards that he that he sets for himself. It's been showcased throughout this entire series for how many times he's compared himself to Steve Rogers or he's aspired to be somewhat Steve Rogers esque and he fails every time mm-hmm. because that's not who he is. And yeah. that turns up his aggressiveness in certain situations, mm-hmm. and you see that fragility and that insecurity come come out and in this moment he just got completely demoralized like he he didn't get angry he didn't you know throw mm-hmm. a fit in that moment i think he just realized like i'm weighing over my head i'm completely overmatched here this is not mm-hmm. because the dora milaje are the greatest fighting force in the world like doesn't mm-hmm. matter you know so they can obviously take you and your homie and deal with y'all real quick and didn't I, you know, didn't you love the scene of seeing one of the Dora Milaje, like, kick up cap shield and have it on her arm? Yes. Like, yes. Jesus Christ. Like, that imagery. Just, I, if you don't, if you don't like that type of stuff, fuck you. I don't care. This ain't for you <laughs> because you hey. obviously feel a certain type of way about black women and how they're portrayed against your, your favorite mm-hmm. great white hopes. It is what it is, but... That specific scene, I just loved that the MCU as a whole, they're not backing down from the fact Wakandans are built different, bro. They're just built, they different. built different. They are That's not it. like everybody else. Like exactly. the Dora Milaje, the technology, the money, the wealth, mm-hmm. the resources, it ain't like nowhere else, bro. So we're going to treat it <laughs> like it's special because it is. And I like the fact that we're not, we're not breaking that continuity. Everything that Ryan Coogler mm-hmm. and his entire team established in that first film, even, I mean, even really, even before so, got to shout out the Russo yeah. brothers too with, with T'Challa and that character and what he did in Civil oh, War. Yeah. All of that stuff mm-hmm. is being maintained. It's called verisimilitude. It's when you actually create something that people can buy into and believe in it. You create this idea, this theme, this world, whatever the case may be, and people can buy into it because you believe it. And there's also a sense of consistency that's carried throughout all of your different projects. Now, if the Dora Milaje came in here and got their ass whipped by a regular John Walker and Lamar Hoskins, who? What would that look like? We would be like, Mm -hmm. nah, bro, not... That's mm-hmm. that ain't the same Dora Milaje from the movie I just saw three years ago. You know what I'm saying? So right. they did what they had to do, and I'm glad it went the way that it went. That was the only way that it could have gone. That was the only way that made Absolutely. sense. You know what I'm saying? So yep. John Walker in that moment, they wrote that scene perfectly. The way he reacted was perfect. It set up his character perfectly. So I think that they mm-hmm. did what they needed to do in that in that whole sequence. I loved every bit of it. Yeah, it was so great. What great. what better way? To knock down John Walker, but with some powerful black women. Mm, that's that shit was poetic. Hey man, I ran it back like three times. The, the, there, <laughs> I said I gotta watch that again. There's some <laughs> there's some stuff in this show. Like if you really read between the lines, it is telling you everything that you need to know about mm-hmm. what this show is trying to say. Obviously, we can enjoy mm-hmm. it as escapist superhero entertainment, just like we yeah. could with any of their movies. Just like we could with Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking about this after I saw that movie. It's like if you just want to watch a superhero flick and enjoy it for just that, it got that for you. It's there. Uh, but yeah. if you want to look mm-hmm. more into 
the contextual meaning of certain things, the symbolism of certain things, and how that's actually carefully constructed behind the scenes. Oh, it's a mm-hmm. lot of that there, and it's a lot of that in this episode in particular. Um, which sure. which brings us to Carly Morgenthau. I want to talk about her because mm-hmm. she has been the main antagonist throughout this show for the most part. Um, there's really shaping up to be multiple antagonists. Like we, we the power broker is just this person that we we have yet to identify uh, but Cro- Carly Morgenthau has really sort of been the face of the flag smashers and she's been the antagonist for the most part and she's leading this group and as we've mentioned on the show they uh, they obviously want the world to be a specific type of place they want it to look a certain type of way specifically how things were during the blip during the five years that half of humanity was gone because apparently things were in a better situation now in this episode she takes some uh, some really some really crucial character steps. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't even know if I can say forward because they might be backward. Because I really, I was like, damn, I'm, I'm really disappointed in Carly. But you know, mm-hmm. we, we we got we got a little bit more about her connection with um, this character named Danya Madani, who she refers to as Mama mm-hmm. Danya. Um, this was this was sort of like a protector for a lot of displaced people um, that, that 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 were existing um, during a specific time, and she had a really strong relationship with her. But Danya Madani has passed away. Um, but throughout this episode, we see these conversations that she has. So she talks with one of the flag smashers in in a cemetery scene, and they're talking about the symbolism of the shield, which I thought was a really important conversation. Where she said that shield just needs to be destroyed because that shield mm. is a reminder of the history that's always just forgotten us right and so she doesn't believe in that and we also see her talk to sam her and sam almost have a breakthrough moment we see sam sort of tapping back into his his therapy days of like you know counseling Mm -hmm. uh veteran soldiers who were returning from the war and sam is like he's having a real breakthrough moment to her like i agree with your fight i agree with what you're doing but the way that you're going about Mm -hmm. it is completely the wrong way because they've been killing people. There's innocent people that they've been sort of sacrificing to make their bigger statement. And uh, yeah. I thought that in particular, her character took some, some really big steps forward. And, and obviously, as we know, at the end of this episode, she ends up killing Lamar Hoskins. And we're, we're of course going to get to that in a second. So mm-hmm. that is now something that she's directly responsible for. Like, this yeah. ain't just her like giving an action or giving an order or a command. Like she, she literally punched this man to death, and she's responsible yep. for his death. That's that blood. Is, that blood is on uh, her hands, and you know there there's mm-hmm. blood on other people's hands as well. But I'm just interested to you know at this point of this of the show and at this stage of the game, what what do you think about Carly's character and how they're positioning her as this really uh, rebellious almost. Well, I mean, no, she is violent. This rebellious, you know, violent individual who's, you know, trying to make a point. She makes good points. She says good things that do make sense, but the way she's going about it seems mm-hmm. a little problematic. What do you think about her so far? Yeah, I th- what's so scary about Carly um, is the way her story shapes up. In a lot of ways, you can justify a lot of the things she does until it gets to the killing, right? Everything you're doing, you're like, yep, that makes sense. Yep, I'd probably do that too. Oh man, those them super serums. I mean, it might be a sacrifice, but <laughs> it might be the way to go. <laughs> but uh, but then you know, again, you, you you start to make this point like, dang. And then she just like she just starts to take take steps back. Um, but you know, that's what makes her character so interesting. I think is I, I find myself the entire time being like, is she really that bad? Like I keep doing that, mm-hmm. and then she'll like change my mind. Like, no, nah, she's bad. And then next second, I'm be like. Mm, 
she could she could be on the good side if she tried mm-hmm. and then she does something else you know um and it, it it really just depends actually one of my i actually really really love the scene um when it's literally just her and sam talking i do uh one one of my critiques with this show very small critique but uh it, it was like a small problem for me that they made such a big deal about how the show was going to explore sam's character um and so far it's just kind of been sam dealing with i don't know systematic racism and some whoever else right the how the military works whatever bucky got going on and not it not just for me just not enough about let's explore sam's character Mm -hmm. and even this talk made it just feel like i got more out of sam too just being able for him to have this dialogue with carly it's like okay this is this is the side that we've always been on as I've always been on as an Avenger, and you should think like this, and and you know, and and I I really appreciated that. And Carly is just not having it, um, it which is crazy because until it was interrupted, there was some a little almost breakthrough. You know, you seen a little spark in there, right. and I think it's that it's that little spark is what makes Carly so good to me and so interesting, um, in, in, in terms of. An antagonist, because sometimes I'm like, dang, can I call her that? Is she really an anti-hero that's just not on the side that we need her to be on? You know, it's it's, it's so many different different things um, that she has. But uh, again, what she does later is pretty unforgivable. But I I I, I do have to say I I love her character, and now I I think at this point, one I think she's going to regret what she's done, mm. uh, very very badly, but. What I'm afraid of is, although she regrets it, she'd do it again. Right. Um, uh, maybe not in that moment do it again, but she'd do it again in the future, um, I guess, if she had to. So that's where I am with Carly. Yeah, almost blinded by her ambition to an extent. Like, she, she does have mm-hmm. remorse for it, but if it comes down to making a decision as to whether or not to do it again, she probably will take that step. Um, exactly. You brought up Sam in this, and... You know, going back to the scene between them, um, the, the the conversation that they were having, this was the first time where I was like, oh, yeah, Sam could be Cap. Like, mm-hmm. that, like, obviously, I want him to be Cap. Right. Why wouldn't I, right? But th- this, I think this, this was the first time that the show made me really believe, like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, he has the attributes of who we would want holding up that mantle and and representing yeah. the shield and we're going to talk more about that in a second but I just wanted to point that mm-hmm. out of course we do have a current Captain America in John Walker mm. Mm. and uh, this was the most pivotal episode for his character thus far um, because it yeah. ended in a visceral violent tragic situation for him mm-hmm. and for other people involved. And so John Walker in this episode, he is, uh, again, his aggressiveness is on display. He is really, really trying to close in on Carly. He's not really listening to anybody um, except except Lamar for, for, for the most part because he trusts him. But he's not really taking counsel from, from Sam or Bucky or even Zemo. Um, again, I think he's just weighing over his head trying to go against the you know the door Milaje. We saw how that turned out. Um, he, he provides Sam a short window to have a conversation with Carly, but quickly yeah. quickly decides, like, this isn't, no, we need to move in. And then also just the mm-hmm. super soldier serum and what that means. And so throughout this episode, we just see him 
you know, sort of just getting, again, a little bit more aggressive with just his tactics because his way is the right way in his mind. And so uh, we we, we do get a sequence where he ends up with the super soldier serum. Um, There's a a fight Mm. sequence, and Zemo eventually catches up to Carly after the the conversation between her and Sam is interrupted. Zemo destroys Mm. damn near every every serum left. Uh, I think she had probably, like, seven or eight in the in the in the in the satchel that yep. she had and he destroyed nearly all of them but then john walker knocks him out with the shield and he picks up the final the final vial of the serum and he has a really interesting conversation with lamar that i want to you know think about for a second um and and he he asked lamar like you know if you had a chance to take the serum would you and lamar is like hell yeah of course i would mm-hmm. and I think John Walker is kind of perplexed and a little surprised at how easily he answered that. But, you know, Lamar made a really interesting point, and he said that power makes a person more themselves. And then he used Steve Mm. Rogers and Carly Morgenthau as examples. This speaks directly to John Walker's character, right? We we just talked about Mm -hmm. his aggressiveness. We talked about his rash decision-making. We talked about his insecurity and his fragility. If If he were to take the serum, those things along with other things, are going to be amplified. Like, yes, the physical will mm-hmm. be amplified. Your your speed, strength, durability, that'll all go up, absolutely. But all those other traits about you, that'll just become more of you. Even with Carly, I think, to an example, right? Like, her character, she's mm-hmm. also, she's taking the serum. She's a super soldier. She probably yeah. had these rebellious tendencies before, but now taking that serum, mm-hmm. casualties are now a part of, a part of her her mission, you know, she she's mm-hmm. saying that, you know, bodies bodies are going to drop. Blood will be spilled in order mm. to achieve what I want to achieve. So these people mm. are really sort of destined to become who they who they are really, you know, meant to be. And so John Walker um, throughout this episode, I, I just thought it was so interesting to see that progressive decline because I think it is a decline. And Wyatt Russell in this role, I think it's fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't like John as a character, of course, because he's being a complete dick. But Wyatt <laughs> right. Russell is killing this. He's doing an incredible job, so too. and mm-hmm. ultimately, the, the the most the most profound you know moment of this episode is the death of Lamar. Again, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. Carly you know punches him so hard, the force kills him. He 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 hits a pillar, and he he's just dead. It's just you know it's just too hard of a punch. He can't survive. John Walker is incensed. That sends him over the edge. He chases after the Flag Smashers and Carly. Um, Carly gets away, or at least we think so, but in the face of the public, John Walker kills a Flag Smasher with the shield um, in a brutal, violent way, just takes the shield and completely batters him in, and there's blood on the shield. Crazy visual at the end of the episode. Wow. And... uh, it re, you know it sort of reaffirms the, the the name of this episode. The whole world is watching because the public is now out mm. looking at this. They're recording it on their phones. Obvious obvious symbolism there. This is a very public thing that mm-hmm. he's not going to be able to come back from. There's just no way. Nope. So nope. Let's talk about this. What did you think about? Of course that you know that sequence, but you know just John John Walker's arc in this specific episode from where he started to where of course he ended up at the end of the episode. Um, you know, this, this whole thing is actually very reminiscent, um, of his characters, of his character in the comics. I think they're doing a great job, man. Um, I can't remember the the exact situation he was in, but I I believe, uh, U.S. agent did in, in fact, 
<laughs> also kill someone. Um, what's also interesting about this run is they actually take a lot from Cap. Um, there's, there's, there's pieces of Cap's story that they kind of fit um, into this one, uh, which is really good, right? There's a, there's a comic run they did where Cap's, um, Cap's code against killing was clearly in place right unquestionably like it, it, it existed and um there's a situation he comes in which actually it deals with uh the, the the flag smashers um and so there's um the captain of the flag smashers kind of has a uh he's holding people hostage 110 hostages and what happens is um, one of his lackeys, I don't know what you call him, one of the flag smashers, I guess, uh, is instructed that if anybody interrupts what I have going on, shoot, shoot the hostages. Um, and Cap goes in there and lo and behold, the person supposed to watch the hostages points the Uzi towards the hostages and Cap is forced to kill that man in that moment. It's kind of that is very reminiscent of Man of Steel, right? Mm. With Zod and the eyes, it's very reminiscent of what we've seen in the Snyder Cut. Um, spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, 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 with Wonder Woman, right? Um, it and here the diff the difference is the character, right? It's the person um, who technically for one doesn't have to kill anybody <laughs> but 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 two it's it's the the way he does it and the why he does it that honestly anybody could question at any time if think about when he gets back to the u.s the first question they're gonna ask is why did you kill him mm-hmm. who was in danger at that point in time was there a gun being held to hot to 110 hostages was anybody about to die in that moment? Like that's I easily like that's the first question, right? Um, and the second thing they're going to say is, "Give me your shield," because you can no longer be Captain America. Right. The my question is, what does he do after that? Does it send him into a second rage, in the way that the death of Lamar sent him into a rage? Right? Is he? Does he become a bad? You know what I mean? I don't. I don't know what happens when he realizes the repercussions of his actions. I don't understand what's the next. If anybody needs therapy at this point, he needs to hit up Bucky and be like, "Look, I need your therapist right now," because there's clearly a lot of built up whatever from the serum, <laughs> anger, angst, whatever, whatever it is from the serum. Um, but yeah, he clearly just fucked up. Even more so than Carly did, right? Even what I think that's what that's what gets me here. Even Carly had a slightly better quote unquote reason, mm. or even more just. I know it sounds terrible because two people are dead, right? right. But she, it feels like she had you know a means, and he didn't have one, and that's kind of what we got. Yeah, we we certainly did. So I, I want to unpack this because I, I think there there's there's so much in this imagery and what happened in this episode. So at the beginning of the episode, Zemo had probably what I feel is like the most poignant line of this episode, maybe even the show as a whole. And he says, Uh the desire to become a superhuman cannot be separated from supremacist ideals. Anyone with that serum is inherently on that path. 
So this idea of being a supremacist was unpacked in the conversation that Carly and Sam had. You know, mm-hmm. Sam sort of almost accused her of being a supremacist, and she said no. The, the the beasts who run the corporations that that exploit and take advantage of people those are the supremacists i'm doing everything mm-hmm. to fight against that but is that the case with the with the existence of the serum right and so yeah. i think even more so that that takes that takes this idea of like what it means to be captain america to another level because bucky's retort to zemo's quote was well I have something to disprove that theory because because Steve never became corrupted. And, you know, Zemo was like, yes, touche, but there's never been another Steve Rogers. He was a one of one, mm. of course, right? And I think mm-hmm. we can even we can even debate and argue whether or not that's a true statement because yeah. Steve made some very questionable decisions, not to the extent mm-hmm. of a John Walker or Carly Morgenthau, but we saw at the end of his run in the MCU, there were some questionable things that had repercussions for what the Avengers were and who they were going to be, right? But yeah. again, I think that this unpacks this idea of what it means to be Captain America. Because if that if that's the case, if you if you take the serum, if there is a, a, a supremacist ideal and theme behind that, then what what's really the difference between you know a carly and a john walker at this point and you you started to talk Mm-mm. about that a little bit like they are going about things in different ways yeah you know there's some there's some agreeable points i think that you can probably make on both sides but they both have mm-hmm. taken the serum now they are advanced superior beings you know physically mm-hmm. at this point so now they're using that power to justify the ends of their means and and that's costing lives at this point right sam has not taken the serum and he probably would never take the serum i don't think that that's something that he's at all interested in but he's going to have to grapple if he is going to be become captain america he's going to have to grapple with the idea that like what captain america means and what it represents has been a failure up until this point if we really think about it like think back to the isaiah bradley of it all and the fact mm. that he did the work that he did as a black super soldier involuntarily was given that serum, did the work, was treated like shit still, but but regardless of that, he still fought for his country, whereas you have a Steve Rogers Captain America. Existing in a world at that time, it was more simple. The bad guys were the bad guys, the good guys were the good guys. But that idea mm-hmm. of Captain America is still a failure because Steve ended up fighting against the government more than when he fought for the government in the MCU, if we think yeah. about it, right? Like he <laughs> mm-hmm. he absolutely fought in World War II. He went under the ice. He came out. He was an Avenger, still fighting on the side of the government. But then by Captain America: Civil War, he's not signing the Sokovia Accords. He's on the run for two years in between Civil War and Infinity War. He becomes nomad. He's a vigilante, a fugitive of the mm-hmm. country. Like he's not even. Yep. They don't even own him as Captain America anymore. Well, we saw it in mm-hmm. Spider-Man: Homecoming, like. Yeah. You know, that that was like a whole thing. And, and even when he came back, like he still was not in good graces of, of, of being, you know, representative of America. So even that idea of what he was as Captain America was not successful. So mm-hmm. Carly said something interesting that I feel like may really happen by the end of the show. And I never thought about it. And I never considered it. She said that shield needs to be destroyed. And I'm starting mm. to think that that shield might be destroyed by the end of this. That shield might not be a thing. That symbolism, that idea though it yeah. though it's supposed to represent and look like a lot of good things and it's supposed to be what America aspires to 
it has not fulfilled mm-hmm. that. Like, in reality, the truth of America is that it is a massive failure on a lot of levels, especially as it relates mm-hmm. to a lot of what this show is unpacking, you know, power Absolutely. and oppression and supremacy, like massive mm-hmm. failures on all those levels. And so how could you have a sh- how, how could you have a shield that's supposed to represent these idealistic things when they just don't they don't exist? It, I mean, it's how different is it from the flag? You know what I'm saying? So um, mm-hmm. I think that that's like a really interesting thing that they that they may possibly explore. I could be completely wrong. The shield might stick around for for life. Who knows? But mm-hmm. I just really started to think about that. And the last thing I'll touch on too, again, sort of tying in this Isaiah Bradley, Lamar Hoskins sort of deal. Like, shame to see a black character go. I thought I thought oh, yeah. I thought Lamar was going to have more in his future. I thought Battlestar was going to be a, a thing. Me too. I, I understand the reasoning for why they did what they did because there's only so many things that you can do to send John at that level. Um, but even in his killing, I think it mm-hmm. also just is another reminder of that idea that Lamar was doing the same amount of work that John was doing. He was putting in the same yes. amount of effort. He was there every step mm-hmm. of the way. And that one scene mm-hmm. where they had that conversation and those women came up and asked for John's autograph but not Lamar's, Mm-hmm. only reinforces that he gets all the credit he gets all the praise he gets the notoriety yep. but we're doing the same amount of work and mm-hmm. they don't have to say it but it's clearly there like it's 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 the relationship between black and white people in this country right yep same thing with isaiah bradley did all the same work that steve rogers did hell maybe even more because steve slept for 70 years but look what turned out. And then save the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then look what happened. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that stuff. Wow. I said a lot. You know, I, it's just I, I think this show is just doing such a good a good job of like it's showing no, us it and is. telling these these things without mm-hmm. without hitting it over the head for us. Like it's leaving us to yeah. like really process and think about this a lot. And I really enjoy that. I don't need them to like explicitly say everything. The one mm-hmm. line here and there from Zemo or the one line here and there from Carly or somebody says something poignant. I think it opens up all these different ideas that the show is really trying to unpack. Oh, absolutely. The it's like a political undertone that just exists because the characters exist. It's so crazy. Um, how easy it is to write based off the experiences of just the way your characters look, right? This is one of the reasons we fight for um, um, diversity in in anything, you know. But uh, especially the charge that was given to to, to movie uh, to filmmakers uh, in general, like it's it's been so easy. Um, and uh, we we. I, we got to bring up that last that last quote, man, that 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 Sarah says when she's on the phone with Carly, um, you know, she 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 calls Carly um, and she tells she tells her that uh, she needs to meet with Sam. Right. And what is the question she asked her? She says, what do you what would you do? Oh, uh, Carly. Carly had asked her specifically, Carly. who do you think should be Captain America? Because she brought up John. Who Walker. do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, my world doesn't matter to America, so why should I care about its mascot? Boy, I almost fell out of my seat when she said that. <laughs> because I, black women just continue to kill this shit, bro. I mean, they are just really killing it. But um, that is just, it, it was quite literally, in a lot of ways, uh, again, what this episode was about. 
and it it it's important to to recognize how both Sam and um to 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 Battlestar right uh, to Lamar that they care about this country so much. Mm. But at the same time, they're working because they're thinking constantly thinking about the mascot, right? Like that's that's what's fucking up right now. They're like when 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 Sam's watching the TV and then watching uh, them give the shield to, to to John, it's like, damn, that's the wrong fucking mascot. Like that's what they're thinking in the back of their head, right? That's what Bucky's thinking in the back of his head. Even Lamar is working on behalf of that mascot because, but he he's such a good friend though, right? He's like. I'm going to hold John up to the highest standard that I can as a quote unquote sidekick. Even though we do the same work, uh, I care about that mascot. Yeah. But it's like, they don't care about you. No. but that, <laughs> So why should you care about it? Right. But in, in, in that, isn't that the existence of a lot of, a lot of black folks living in America, wow. right? Like that, that's it right there. That was, that was the, the line i was just like yep you guys are doing it yeah keep doing it good job marvel that was it because that that was that was a line for that ass i mean it because she was what, what what made it so also so important is she's the normal person in the situation quote unquote right she's not a superhero she's not a superhero she's she lives on a boat in new orleans with her two sons huh and she's the one that said that versus the everybody else that's chasing chasing what what America needs to be. Come on, bro, that was different um, when I heard that. That's the thing that reinforces Zemo's <laughs> what he said. Like, mm-hmm. and again, like Sam is the exception because he is not taking the serum. But you're on the yeah. path of supremacy if you do that. Like, mm-hmm. you are inherently removed from the normal on the ground everyday everyday experience of what it's like to be a person, a normal person, especially. You know, in, in in the context of today's world, if you take that serum, like it's just it's almost inevitable. Right. And so I yeah. just love the fact that like Sam, Bucky, Carly and John, we're getting four different looks at what it could mean to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. What this could possibly look like. You have a Bucky who's just like he's willing to break rules in order to do what he think is right. And we talked mm-hmm. about that. Like he's going against rules that have been established by the government, by the door Milaje in order to do the things that he thinks thinks are right. Sam is, is really sort of in a, in a place of unwillingness to, 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 to hold that mantle and to take up that shield because he's, mm-hmm. I think he's still struggling with the fact as to whether or not he thinks he's worth it or not. Right. Right. And so mm-hmm. also, you know, Carly as, as, a, as a, as a person of, of what she's dealing with, she's, she's obviously doing things in a very rebellious type of fashion. And John is just, he has the mantle and he doesn't yeah. know the responsibility and what to do with it. It's, it's, it's becoming a, a bit, you know, a lot for him. So, so many different interesting things. I'm starting to think really by the end of this, I, I, I would not be surprised and it would be a ballsy thing to do. Uh, there may not be a Captain America. There may not be a shield. That might yeah. not be a thing by the end of this. What's interesting is in the comic, what's similar to this episode in particular, when Cap, that story I kind of told you where he was forced to kill the person who was going to kill the hostages. Um, what's interesting is after that happens and people see him, the exact, kind of the exact same thing happened, like media, people were outside, people started writing about it in papers. He was actually forced to give the shield away to John. That's literally when U.S. agent got the shield. Um, and I, I just, that's just one of the ways in like the remixing, right? That kind of that storyline. But it, 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 it'll be really interesting if 
instead of them actually questioning what the shield really means right what are what what is what is the uh what does the integrity of the shield mean right what is the symbolism if they just instead go let's give it to this guy instead you know i know it's but it's, it's definitely possible because in a, a lot of ways, it's what they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be great to see where the show goes. There's only two episodes left. So, of course, we will be back next week to talk all things The Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode five. But if you've seen episode four, of course, you can definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about episode four. The whole world is watching. Let's go ahead and transition, man, and talk about the news of the week. So we got a few few news items to, to talk to to discuss, um, you know, sort of staying in the world of, of Marvel Studios. Uh, She-Hulk has got a brand new addition to this cast. We just found out that Hamilton star Renee Elise Goldsberry has been cast in the Marvel Studios series for Disney Plus, and she's going to be playing a character named Amelia. Mm. Um, that's all we know. Don't know anything else beyond that. Of course, it's still in the early stages of development with that show. But of course, like with with casting, that means that they're probably right around the corner with uh, with production that's going to start soon. And uh, I think with She-Hulk, we also know that it's going to be a little bit in the similar vein in terms of format It's going to be in the same vein as WandaVision. I think they're going to do 10 episodes that are going to be mm-hmm. more so our um, half an hour uh, format. So it's going to be. Mm-hmm portrayed like a legal comedy almost is what kevin feige said i think a few months ago so she hulk should be an interesting series also returning for that are mark mark ruffalo of course as the hulk as well as tim roth coming back as the abomination and then uh tatiana um is is playing the titular character she hulk um what do you think about renee joining the cast here uh just dope man both me and you both are hamilton lovers so of course we love it for that in the first place um but i I feel like I'm trying to figure out the last thing I've seen her in. Maybe Waves. I think she was the mom in Waves. She was. Um, uh, but I I just she's great. Uh what what else is there to say about her? She really is. Um I think she got a a Tony too for Hamilton. I mean, come on. I mean, her accolades speak for themselves. Um, I don't I just want to know who she's gonna be at this point, to be honest. Uh, I'm just trying to figure that out because I don't know who that is. But yeah, uh, right. I think she'll be dope. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, just want to know who Amelia is. Is it going to be friend or foe? Uh, not sure, but that's, no what we're waiting, that's what we'll wait for and see. But really excited to see her. She's extremely talented. Um, again, I, you know, I talk about this on the show. Marvel, their ability to find and get talent at the just the, the the best period that you can secure somebody is just uncanny. The way that mm-hmm. they can secure people. Uh, we talked about... Um, Kingsley Kingsley Benadir, you know, being cast for uh, the the Secret Invasion series. We talked about Jonathan Majors being cast in Ant Man. They're finding the people before they blow up too too big before they can't you know or they can afford them, but they don't want to really pay as much money as they probably uh, will have to down the line. Which you know, business is business. I get that, but these are extremely talented individuals nonetheless that can play some 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 key roles um in these shows so i'm excited to see that great great addition um mm-hmm. also another casting news shazam fury of the gods is moving forward we tossed we just talked about helen mirren um now we got another cast member lucy Liu is joining as the villain calypso and that's the sister of helen mirren's villainous character hespera mm. so it seems like they're building out I guess gods as, as sort yeah. of the fear of the antagonist here. Yeah, mm-hmm. fear of the gods. Like they're really they're really building that out here. Lucy Lou, 
that's that's a really that's dope. I like that a lot. That's, hey, this cast is it's about it's about to get crazy. Clearly, um, the whole thing is getting crazy, especially with if it ties it into anything with Black Adam. It's DC is going wild right now. I think they're they're doing great in terms of casting. Yeah, they're getting really, really talented people here. We we just talked about Pierce Brosnan with Black Adam. Yep. Um, I saw they just added an, a couple of new cast members, like some some young up and comers. I'm not as familiar with mm-hmm. their work, but um, yeah, they're both moving along really, really well here. But Lucy Liu, she's great. I mean, I've it's never Lucy Liu. I've never seen her in anything and not have enjoyed it and loved it. Like obviously, like mm-hmm. Kill Bill and Charlie's Angels and all that stuff. She's been working a for a really long time, so mm-hmm. um, I think she'll she'll bring a lot here. It's 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 interesting though. Like Helen Mirren, um, a little bit older. Lucy Liu, more middle age. So also the age range is interesting. I guess in in terms of who they're getting to play these gods, and uh, so far two women. So I'm I'm, I'm curious to see if there's going to be like you know, male guys that they bring in. I don't know. You know, I'm not really sure like what other characters that they might, mm-hmm. you know, infuse in here, but I'm sure we're going to find out more over the next few weeks, uh, which what, is Sam as well. What I love about this is um, Calypso is made up. I mean, of course, it's a she's a Greek. Uh, I think she's not a god, though, in, in Greek mythology. She's like a nymph or whatever you call it. Yeah, I remember yeah. reading the Odyssey. You read the Odyssey where like she oh, like yeah. traps she traps uh Homer for like uh, or not Homer, but she, she traps Odysseus for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. on the island. Over. But like, I think that's what they're I, I love that they're kind of, quote unquote, making them up for the movie because there's you can do anything like they can. I mean, pull out some stuff from left field and nobody would be like, that didn't happen in the comics or you know what I mean? Like, I I just love the the ability for, for them to be as creative as they want here. I think it's great. Yeah, agreed. Agreed for sure. In other news, House Party's getting rebooted and rising stars Jorge Lennonboard Jr. and Tosin Cole are set to star in this reboot, which is going to be produced by LeBron James and Maverick Carter. Um, we talk about reboots a lot on here because that typically mm-hmm. is all that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, House Party is one of those one of those classic black films, right? Like if you grew up in a black household watching black movies, you've probably seen House Party. Came out in the early '90s, kid and play, you know, super popular sort of cult cult movie. Ended up with some sequels. They had you know House Party two and three, and then they did that weird fourth one with Marcus Houston. That was strange. Um, but here they are trying to reboot House Party. Um, I know you're excited about this, right? Mm. <laughs> that was a joke, people. I I don't think either <laughs> one of us care at all about a house party reboot. But why? Remember, remember, you know, I talk about this all the time. My argument for reboots yep. is technology based. Right. Has to be technology based. We got Godzilla couple weeks ago fucking genius like do it it looks great it's beautiful it's it, it's transcendent right house party <laughs> like what are we doing like i just i just don't understand like i just can't imagine going into the theater and about to be awed that the i like you know is this i guess i need more information is i know they're not going back to 90 like i don't No, nah, they it's about to be Project X. Is that what you're trying to do? Project X, but it's black people. Because I know damn well people ain't about to start dancing in the middle of the party in 2021, no. 2022. Because no, uh, we don't do that. Now, <laughs> we don't do that in 2021. I mean, what is... I I just don't... 
I just don't see the point. That's where I'm at. It's it's the name at this point, right? You want to make money, get a classic name, push it to wherever you need to push it. I can say right now, I'm about to make Boys in the Hood remake for 2023, and fucking Hollywood will eat that shit up. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> just for no reason, just for the name. <gasps> Boys in the hood, Ice Cube will come ass right now. Shut that shit down. Like, come on, bro. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't get it. If, if maybe if I understood, somebody helped me understand. I just don't understand. Well, you, you made a funny point on Twitter where you, you like at this news specifically. You said, I just want them to reboot everything at this point, so they can't reboot anything. Yep. And I'm like, we're kind of there. It's like, <laughs> how, how, damn, like, how deep in the bag do you gotta go? to dig for these ideas i'm i'm i i don't get it i don't Mm-mm. i don't know to your point i i, I need more information because now tw- yeah 2020 2021 people don't do that at house parties anymore they're much much more chill we know that like in the 90s and 80s and stuff like that when you went to a house party like it was going to be a dancing function and that music mm-hmm. or excuse me that movie is so it's so heavily and rooted and steeped in the music and the dancing that's why oh, i love it man. you know that that is what it's for, and the random freestyle that occurs, you know, uh, between kid and play, like all of those, you know, epic moments that we remember. But this movie gonna now, piss me off. I don't, I don't know. It it almost has to be. It almost has to be said in the nineties. I feel like. I feel like this movie gonna piss me off. It better be said in the nineties. <laughs> it better be said in the. There's just no but, way. But even then, why? Right? Like why? Why? Why do what has exactly. been done? You know, so it's almost like it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. I'm not looking forward to it. I don't even know what it's going to come out on. Like if this is a theatrical release, this shit will come out on Disney Channel. Oh, man. Good. Grief. <laughs> That's what I imagine when I imagine a kid and play remake in 2021. I imagine it's just going to be on Disney Channel. I don't know why I it, I just can't see anything. Yeah. Unless like the argument, maybe it's a different if the argument is like parties are dead or something maybe you could spin it it's a part so because that's actually a part of the story exactly is them right. trying to bring back the age of people having fun and dancing at parties because it has right. died right 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 i mean it, it has died between whatever was going on that even before covid but in covid combined they the parties have died so maybe that's the argument and if it's not uh i mean even if it is just throw the movie away i don't know why we're doing this whatever you might be giving them a lot of credit there with that idea because i don't yeah don't don't throw throw it away i don't think it's even gonna go there uh no it might be real simple you know which is unfortunate i'm not looking forward to this at all but as we know the 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 reboots the remakes the reimaginings they're not gonna stop they're gonna keep coming unfortunately but we gotta do i'm I'm about to come out with love jones next week (laughs) Oh, yo, you didn't hear? That's already happened. I'm just playing. It, but it's probably going to happen. Like, it's, it's inevitable. They're going to remake that president. They're gonna oh, love my Jones. God. It's just, they they're going to remake Big Mama's house. Like, that just came out 20 years ago. They just I'm dead. Not Big Mama's house. I'm just like, what? what's the point? What's the point anymore? Like, why Why do we Why do we hold on to any of these things? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, we'll always be able to enjoy the classics. We'll always be able to go back to those. But the fact that they're like revisiting these wells so much, it just the lack of ideas. It's infuriating sometimes. So shame on you, LeBron. Let's go ahead and transition and talk about WrestleMania. Yes. We don't get a chance to talk, talk about WWE this much on this show, but there were some 
some big, big things that happened at WrestleMania this year. This was the 37th installment of WrestleMania, my goodness. And the first time in over a year that WWE has been able to return to having fans in attendance and perform in front of the WWE universe, which mm-hmm. was a big, big deal. Um, obviously, the COVID pandemic put a halt to all of that for, I think, about six months. The first five or six months they were in the Performance Center, and then they transitioned to the WWE Thunderdome, which is like more of a virtual experience that allowed people to to sign up online and attend Raw or SmackDown virtually. But here we are at WrestleMania. People were able to be in attendance at Raymond James Stadium. They had a capacity of 25,000 per night, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is definitely below the normal capacity. I think that stadium could fit like 60 or 65, but protocols, um, they, they kept the, the capacity reduced. But some big stuff here, man. Let's uh, let's start and talk about night one, because this year, as it was last year, was a two night WrestleMania, um, yep. which is traditionally not the case. It's typically one night, but they did two nights again this year. Um, so what were some of like your highlights, like some of the, the, the best things from night one for you specifically? Yeah, man. Um, I guess we, we, we could just go through the matches too real quick. Um, I guess the big matches um, first, the, the, the reigning champ himself, Bobby Lashley, man. I mean, this guy is a monster. He's he, if you if you don't know who Bobby Lashley is, literally just Google the man, and he's probably you'll think he's a bodybuilder, but he's not. He is a wrestler, um, and uh, he, it's crazy that he looks the way he looks because when you hear him talk, he actually sounds like a nice guy, even though he's supposed to be heel right now. You can like still kind of tell like he's probably a nice guy. Um, but Bobby Lashley, y'all, he he is. He, I don't know who's going to stop him at this point. Um, he he won his match pretty quick too. I think uh, it, it wasn't that long of a match, if I remember right. Well, it, it went it went eighteen minutes. It was a pretty. pretty that was eighteen. Uh, maybe it yeah. felt shorter. I don't know why it felt shorter to me, but eighteen yeah, is a long time. So I'll take that back. But uh, he, he he's clearly um, at the top right now. We don't know who's going to stop him. Um, and just for a, a, another year, I always. Y'all know me. I'm rooting for everybody black. So it, whenever we get a, a a black man to to retain uh the 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 belt, I'm I'm always here for it. So uh I, I enjoyed that thoroughly, of course, because it was actually a possibility of him losing it. You never know. It's it, you never know how, how they're gonna write it. But he just got it. So I was gonna be really mad if he if he lost it that fast. Um. So yeah, what you think about that match? Yeah, I mean. It was dope. I liked it. I thought it was a it was a decent match. I liked that Bobby won because I didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just glad that he's getting run with the title. He's been in the business for like 15 years at this point, it's so it's just great time. to see him finally get his due. You know, and I think in a premier you know sort of match, it was the opening match. It was the first mm-hmm. match back in front of fans. Um, it's just dope. It's dope that we got a black WWE champion because we've only had three. So yeah, like can you imagine the hurt lock just looks terrible too? By the way, like. If I ever wanted to fuck a nigga up on the street, uh, a nice full Nelson, which is really what it is, it it might really fuck you up for a long time. Like you, oh, it will. I've, yeah. I've taken that unfortunately, and it don't it, <laughs> it don't feel great. Yeah, I can tell for you my that. cousins. Yeah, it's, it's happening yeah. for my cousins too. Um, moving on, you. Oh my God! When I say this man has transcended, he was killing it the whole time, y'all. Bad Bunny, <laughs> y'all. You didn't expect to hear that. Entered WrestleMania. I mean, he had been on Raw for almost like two months. Now. It was actually a long time. Yeah. Um, that they, they, they I've I've been watching them, but uh, he entered again as the music artist, Bad Bunny. Um, I mean, multi platinum, 
sales out of control literally one of the biggest artists in the world easy um at this current point in time and he made him made his way onto a wrestlemania match y'all it's really wild um him damian priest versus uh the miz um and um what's him calling oh john morrison john morrison and when I say he showed out, I mean, Bad Bunny, I'm, he probably got a contract yesterday. I mean, they are. If they didn't give they, it to him now. They might be writing him up a contract, y'all, because he's he oh, he does it. He sells. He uh he he can he's low key athletic. He was doing flips and jumping off top ropes. And uh, and it wasn't even that like oh it's like a celebrity and he's actually doing things it's like no this dude was really really killing it uh he was really he was really doing some stuff y'all so i i actually enjoyed this match a lot uh him and him and davian priest are great they're both puerto rican so i love the entire thing they have going on um with, with the with the puerto rican uh representation it's it was a good time i enjoyed this match a lot actually oh it was super fun and i think Listen, it has to be in the conversation for best celebrity wrestling matches. Um, yeah, be, be, mm-hmm. best performance by a celebrity. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it just it, it just goes to show that when you are a real fan of WWE or professional wrestling in general, if you are a real fan, if you've been watching watching it for a long time, and we know that he is a lifelong fan, he's watched this for his entire life. Mm-hmm. Even if you have not been exposed to it, obviously, as like the professionals have your right. appreciation and understanding of it is going to be different than that of a casual person. So when he mm-hmm. underwent his training, I just know that he was able to get certain things like he, he mm-hmm. can just understand and get certain things like, oh, I I know why they do that. I've seen that. OK, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I can like bring some of this in. Um, I don't know how long he trained for this match and I don't know who trained him, but whoever did kudos to them Claps all around to look so incredible here because yeah. he just looks like such a natural. Like you said, he did everything even beyond performing. Like he did all mm-hmm. of the psychological things that you have to do to make this believable. And he never looked tired, which I was just like, this is something that's really hard to do. And they had a 15 minutes and five seconds. You can get really gassed really fast in this type of environment where you're having to perform these really uh, these moves that, that that take a lot of energy to do. You're lifting people. You're getting bumped around all over the place, all these different things. And he was in in the ring performing for most of it. Like he didn't yeah. he didn't get tagged in at the end and did like two minutes of a fight. No, he was mm-hmm. actually carrying the match along with the Miz and John Morrison. So, yep. He earned all of my respect. I mean, I I just thought, and the entrance was incredible. Coming out to yes, dope as hell. Uh, His entrance was also like paying homage to like one of the old WCW NWO N64 game. Mm -hmm. The the way that that game started had like a semi truck pulling in. That man knows his shit. He knows. He knows. Does he's a real fan? So I nothing but respect for me. He killed it, man. Um, Absolutely. Oh man, that was great. Again, he contract right now. Yeah, actually. He announced his tour yesterday too, right? During the was he it did. like a commercial? Um, yeah. It was like a short video, like one minute long. Um, Triple H, like uh, he's like you've you've done what you come to do. Now it's time to do what you got to do. And he opens a briefcase and it's like a microphone. Um, and then he takes the microphone, gets back on his truck, and the truck rolls out. Uh, Semi truck, by the way. Um, and 
the the dates pop up as the truck pulls out. Uh, it's, and so he's touring next year. Hmm, how about it's that? Be a big tour, I'm sure. Big tour, cause look, I might go. He got me. I'm over <laughs> here. I, I was just in a bad bunny. And I'm, I'm working on my Spanish right now, but I still don't know none of the words. I was jamming though. Oh no, yeah, it's no, it sounds good. All of it sounds, sounds great. Good. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I'm he, look, I'm I'm gonna have to get some nosebleeds or something. I might be at the Bad Bunny concert. You might catch your boy there. Um. Oh man, the the highlight of the weekend, y'all. I mean, this this is the one. Uh, Sasha versus Bianca. Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. Um, in what is known as the first ever. Uh, not even just headline, but I think match at WrestleMania between two black women. Um, huge. I mean, I, how, we've been watching this our whole lives, man. Our, I've literally since birth. Um, I, I was actually in the arena in like 1990. I was like two years old in the <laughs> freaking wrestling arena when I shouldn't have been um, in just just because that's how that's how it runs in my family though man my, i was with my brother me and my cousins we've always watched video games whatever we've watched for a long time and to have this moment this weekend was such a very special treat um because throughout time whether it's black men or black women we've seen black wrestlers be undercut so much we've seen them be, be get uh lose traction because for whatever reason they didn't get pushed how they're supposed to um, which is one of the reasons why The Rock is so transcendent, right? He's like the one that did it. Um, but mm-hmm. Of course, you have your Booker T's and your Mark Henry. You know, it, it, there are people. Um, you know, Bobby Lash is coming. Now was a different time. Um, and, and this match really reflects that that, that the time is here, right? The, 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 the newness is here. And we finally get this match between Sasha Banks, who had been prominent, man, for also a very long, I mean, she's been killing it for also a very long time. Um, but Bianca Belair and her come up from NXT five years uh, to now um, to to become uh, eventually WWE champion, um, SmackDown Women's Champion to be even more specific. So uh, it it was historical. I mean, at the beginning, at the beginning of the match was one of my favorite pieces, right? Um, where they literally take about five minutes. Sasha Banks is looking at Bianca Belair and they're having a stare down and Bianca is clearly emotional um, and they're taking in the history, right? The, what, what, what it means for that moment. And what, what almost got me was that Sasha had to look away. Like mm-hmm. Sasha had to, cause she, cause nothing breaks Sasha, but Bianca being emotional on that, on that crazy, man. It almost, it almost broke Sasha, um, which is really hard to do. And Sasha had to look away or else it, it was going to make uh, Bianca cry. It was going to make her cry. Uh, but this is two of the most athletic women I've ever seen. Um, the the blackness was high. I've been rooting for Bianca. If you know me, I've been rooting for Bianca Belair for so long. I mean, of course I love Sasha, but something about Bianca, y'all. Like, she just be saying the blackest stuff. <laughs> like, uh, a couple weeks ago, she was like, and that's on Mary Had a Little Lamb. I said, nobody else would have ever said that in all of WWE history ever. Like, I've just never heard anybody um i guess lean that much into the, even though they're a lot of them are playing characters you can tell a lot of it is just her you know and i think that's why i love bianca so much a lot of it is like no it's you you may throw a little bit of sprinkles on top but this is you for real like i know like this is really your personality um so that's why i enjoy her but yeah man this was this was a uh, this was a lot of years coming again for for long time wwe fans to see two black women uh be at the top and to create history on uh this momentous occasion 
for sure. And it was also a great match. I mean, great. arguably the best, arguably the best match of the card, and one of the yeah. best main events that they've had, you know, in the past decade. Mm-hmm. So that only helped the fact that they delivered and they knew that they had to deliver. They knew that they had a lot of pressure on them too. Because oh, yeah. not only is this like a momentous occasion, but there's a lot of pressure that comes with that to be able to live mm-hmm. up to this idea of like, wow, we know, you know, one, we know we are the first two black women to be fighting for a WWE, you know, main championship here. And then yeah. they found out, I'm sure, you know, a couple of days before, maybe a week before, whatever the case was, that they were going to close the show. Listen, yep. y'all, there's only one main event. There might be four or five, six premier matches, like for titles, whatever the case may be, like the, the big marquee matches, but there can only be one main event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they got that spot. And they yeah. deserve that spot. It was it was the right choice. It was the right thing to do. And it was great. And it was great to see Bianca walk away with it. Sasha's done everything you could do in that division. She, at this she's point. done it. She's mm-hmm. just running up the numbers at this point. Bianca is her ascension is great. Um, so I'm excited to see where they take the character, you know. So it was it was great to see. It was great to see both of them just have that moment and experience that together. For sure. Here we are, um, night two. Right. Night two. Yeah. Night two was actually well. But well, hold on. Before we move to night two, were there anything like on night one? Was, was there anything in particular that wasn't wasn't as great for you that could have been better? Like things that you were just like, oh, it was OK, but it might have been better. Uh, I think just to like close out that discussion, because for me, there were there um, were a couple of small things. Uh, A lot of the other matches I didn't mind. It was the reason the match was happening. That was weird for me. Um, it was like a Braun Strowman and the 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 the, the Shane McMahon match. Very strange. So the whole the storyline is stupid, right? What makes a lot of matches really good is the storyline leading up to it. And this one was like Shane McMahon called Braun Strowman stupid, and Braun Strowman was like, "Fuck you, let's have a cage match." That is, that's I don't know when that's literally what happened. Like, far what is happening? Um, what I did like about that match is him just tearing the fence off the goddamn cage and pulling him back in the ring. I like, I just like the like small things that they want to show with Braun's strength. But the fact that that was happening in the first place was already weird. Um, so, eh, you know, yeah. it was, it was like, and to begin with, but they did what they could from it, I guess. Um, I agree. Yeah, that was, um. So I wasn't a huge fan of the tag team turmoil. I thought it was okay. Mm. The only other match I would say, yeah, that 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 cage match. It the, the match itself was fine. It was actually an entertaining match, but I agree the story, it, it just made me question like why why are we really having this? And then, you know, Shane calling him stupid, like they never even like explain like why? Why, Shane? You yeah, just, just no reason. You're picking on this huge, huge. giant individual like you really want to do that it just didn't make any sense you know but it was it was a decent match and you know Shane mm-hmm. took that nasty that nasty bump at the end so it was mm, yeah he did. We, Text- we knew we knew he was gonna do some some ridiculous shit as he always does yeah I, which is funny i forgot about the tag team turmoil which makes it was like oh yeah tag team turmoil um mm-hmm. it's so on uh raw you know i, I i'm always watching them so close together Fridays, Mondays, so close together. Uh, watching, you know, the the Tamina stuff go down, uh, or SmackDown. Watching the Tamina and um, Nia Jax stuff go down. Uh, it kind of already felt like this direction they were going. So it, in that way, it already felt predictable um, in a lot of ways. So I think that's why I kind of forgot about it. Even though, again, I was I was there for Naomi. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. Naomi, let's go. Yeah, uh, again, room for everybody, black man. So I needed Naomi to get the dub, but I kind of felt it not going that way, just because of the way. Uh, SmackDown went down, so I think that's yeah. why 
that match was like it was cool to watch. I also liked the Riot Squad. Actually, like I actually wanted everybody to win except Natalia and Tamina. All right, but <laughs> that's cool too. I like how strong Tamina, uh, how how they're you know portraying her strong that she is. So it it was okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, night night two, which uh was interesting. I think I think didn't get off to to as good of a start as night one. Nope. Uh, we got to talk about Randy Orton and the Fiend. Um, listen, man, I don't. I I'm gonna keep it short. Honestly, I I just don't think that the character of the Fiend is as good as we think it is. I I just mm. don't. I I don't really. I buy it because you mm-hmm. know Bray Wyatt is a, is a performer. He he gives it his all. You know, like, yeah, he's good. He's yeah, Bray's good. Good, but. It's just too much for me. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. Just it's too much for him to not have any good matches because he hasn't. He's had like maybe two good matches as this character, and they've been yeah. with like Daniel Bryan, mm-hmm. and I think he had a, he had like one good match with Seth, I believe. But most of his matches, honestly, for me, anytime I do watch when I see the Fiend, um, I typically always tend to catch him too because he isn't around that much. His matches just aren't that good. I don't. I don't know what I think. I, it's, it has to be the booking of the character for how they, mm-hmm. you know, how they portray him. But he, this one, I mean, I, the 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 one good thing that I can say about this, they kept the shit short. Like they mm-hmm. didn't drag it out. It was five minutes fifty seconds. So they didn't they didn't keep him around for that long because that match that they had a few years ago at WrestleMania thirty three for the WWE title, I was there, and they had the projection on the ring of fucking cockroaches and all these insects and stuff like that. They mm-hmm. were trying to do this real theatrical shit. It just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And here they're doing more of the theatrical stuff again. And Alexa Bliss is out there, and they got the Jack and you know, yeah, Jack in the Box sort of whole deal. Mm-hmm. The red lighting. It's just so, it's just so many fucking like hijinks. You know what I'm saying? It's just like. Yeah. I get it for his character. Like you need some some element of theatricality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just glad that they kept it short because I just didn't I just didn't care about it. And it also just didn't make sense. Like Randy Orton burned him, burned like burned him alive. That that's the yep. idea. Like obviously he didn't, but that's the idea that on screen Randy Orton burned him alive. And here they are having a wrestling match. <laughs> what fucking sense does that make? I'm not coming yeah. to have a. I'm, tr- I'm coming. I'm I'm going to set you on fire, bro. Like it just didn't no, make yeah. it didn't make sense that they're out here putting each other in DDT holds when he, he just burned him <laughs> alive like four mm-hmm. months ago. That just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, they was doing some some Kane Undertaker stuff. That's all they was doing. Uh, but you know, um, one of the one of the good things that has come out the fiend recently is actually the transformation of Alexa Bliss's character because before she didn't have anything to do. Um, and to be honest, she does a great job of being creepy. Like you'll watch her and be like, "Yep, you're creepy," and she'll be making all kind of cir- circles, demon circles, and all kind of stuff on the show. And you're like, "What is going on here?" Um, so that's one thing that did come out recently uh, about the fiend's disappearance. It's kind of how she's like been manipulating Randy Orton, but I think the buildup is what broke it. Um, the, like the like kind of what you were saying in a way. Um, it wasn't enough. All the theatrics weren't enough for the outcome. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. Maybe if they would have thought of, I don't know, they they're having a fight in hell, and there's no, fire around the ring. You know what I mean? Something, if something. if you get if you get thrown out the ring, that's it. You're in hell, and that's it. You're on fire. Like that's you did. I, I don't know something crazy. Like they should have just thought of you know some did something like that, but instead they just kind of brought him back, 
like up oh, you're back to life now and you have been restored and now you're wrestling again um so yeah i i don't know where that's going to go now i guess alexa is going to continue to be herself again i kind of like her but not so much the fiend right now i think i have to agree with that i think uh, i think right now alexa is the move uh maybe somehow they split them bray becomes normal and alexa's still crazy i would like that but yeah, it looks I think... like they might because I mean she cost him the match, so mm-hmm. they might keep with her character. I wouldn't be surprised if Bray went back to his yeah. traditional look, you know, from, yeah. from, from years ago. I wouldn't be surprised. They could facilitate a transition for Alexa's character, and you know, I don't know, maybe put somebody else with her. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't, so I don't watch week to week, so I'm not really sure who mm-hmm. isn't really doing much shit right now. But that might be a, spot a lot for of somebody else. But yeah, they, they, yeah, there might be a spot. So yeah, man, that's that's what yeah. I thought about that too. Yeah. Well, I will say in that, you know, they they had the follow up from the tag team turmoil, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Natalia, Tamina. They had their match. Uh, I think a rough one. Honestly, it was kind of rough watching it. There was a few good spots, but I think it was uh, I don't know. It just it didn't seem like the chemistry was on, you know, and I think mm-hmm. uh, I didn't really get into the show like night two specifically until the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn fight because they mm. Mm-hmm. them boys i mean they they're they're just incapable of having a bad yeah. match i feel like they're too they're too connected they're too close in real life they obviously enjoy working with each other they've had so many matches so that was kind of the moment for me where like the the the, the momentum shifted because these mm-hmm. first two matches um i was just like oh no i got you know <laughs> two and a half more hours of this oh no it's gonna be right yeah. but it, it it changed once we once we got kevin and, and sammy and from there on i was pretty much in i was like okay this is mostly mostly good stuff for the most part a few few you know spots here and there as we'll keep going of course but yeah yeah tamina tamina just came back and i think that is by that same token that i said they had just you know kind of started this up a week or two ago that i knew where the belt or the belt would be retained you know in that way just because i was like y'all just got here um which is interesting because you know only a couple right after royal royal rumble naomi came back that's not that long ago either um but they have been fucking with lana for a long time i mean lana has been through like 50 tables y'all uh this it's like a whole running joke that Nia Jax keeps putting Lana through tables. It's actually great. It's fucking hilarious. It's <laughs> and I want that to keep going. But it's it's like why not continue to build up a storyline for that? You know what I mean? And make that the story. But they did they they tried to go off a family thing, right? Between Tamina and Nia Jax, but it was like just too short. Like, do start earlier, right? Plan plan that ahead when when Tamina's actually back cemented. Don't give them the title shot, you know, if if Lana or has been or the riot squad has been here. You know what I mean? Come on. Uh, mm-hmm. just like come on, um, but KO and Sami Zayn. So even though I like them, they also had a weird thing going on, uh, and story wise, where Sami Zayn kicked Kevin Owens on accident or whatever. And, yeah, yeah. Something and like then that. and then Kevin o- and then Sami Zayn was like, "I'm sorry," and Kevin Owens was just like, "Okay, but fight me though, bro." And then that was it. Like that's like. <laughs> the wrestlemania headline of them um th- but uh Sami Zayn is, is he's funny right now right he's uh he's definitely the the comedic relief of wwe right now where he's making a documentary on why the wwe is against him um and it's fun it's fun what what my favorite my favorite part is them bringing out logan paul fuck that nigga logan paul but i'm pretty sure everyone in the crowd was just as happy as i was when KO shakes Logan Paul's hand and stuns him, I was like, yep, we're good. He stunned him because I was like, why is this nigga here? And if it's good to get stunned, that's cool. 
I'm all right with that. Man, Maybe. I don't. I, I I was just like, why? Who the fuck is this? <laughs> like, why? I don't know. Here? I don't really get. I, like, I mean, I know who he is, but it's yeah. just like, really? Why? I just it's just a a useless name, and he literally did nothing. He just sat out ringside to just wait on a stunner. So I was just like, whatever. That was yeah. the only bad point. I but you know they and they only they didn't even have to, they had nine minutes and twenty seconds, which is crazy because they could easily have a 30 minute classic, but they kind of, con- you know, condensed in and just put like a lot of their great stuff into like a 10 minute match, which I thought. Yeah. Was really good. Again, I think it's, it's just because they don't got a lot going on story wise right now, like some other people do. Um, So I think they were just like, yeah, let's just keep this short. It's really interesting. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. But yeah, they probably well, they didn't have nothing for them to do. So they were just yeah. like, let's just have them work together. I- I'm yeah. sure I'm sure that like Vince was like, damn, we got to have Kevin and Sammy on the show. Well, they just fight each other, you know, yep. that that they because they didn't have anything else going on for them, which mm-hmm. is very apparent. Let's talk yep. about Apollo Crews and Big E. Cause this oh, shit, my Lord. Have mercy. This shit. They oh, had a night. They had a Nigerian drum fight for the Intercontinental Championship. Y'all. Um, y'all. I. Y'all. OK, I, I, I will say I will say <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. The match itself was not terrible. They actually they mm-hmm. worked hard. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of violence and some weapons in there. They did. Mm-hmm. Some kendo stick stuff, though, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I it entertained me. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie. I, it entertained yeah. me. Yeah. This this was still a big missed opportunity. That's the best way I could put it. It was a big missed opportunity. So, they could have they could have did more with this, y'all. So a month and a half ago, again, this is I'm watching week to week, bro. A month and a half ago, Apollo Cruz comes out, and all of a sudden. He is just all into his Nigerian heritage. So before he never really talked about it, he might have said, yeah, I'm from Nigeria. That's it. He came out with the flag colors, the green and white. And this is the part that makes me mad. He they just made him up. He he made up his accent. He's he's trying to sound like his parents all the time. Like the reason that upsets me is because. We can recognize us as people as America can recognize that you are both Nigerian and raised in America. You can be American Nigerian. You don't have to have an accent for us to be like, oh, he's Nigerian. You don't have to do that. And that is what he is doing right now. And it's very annoying because also it's just not good. It's not a good accent. He never he never sounds convincing. He just always sounds like he's trying to sound like his dad. Um, which he ends up never sounding like, probably. Like, I don't know what his dad sounds like, but I know he don't sound like Apollo Crews. So that's like the annoying thing with me with Apollo Crews. It's like, okay, this is all great, but the accent got to go. Like yesterday, all the, a long time ago. It's like he's trying to pull something out of his vernacular that doesn't exist because literally a week before, he was talking just like me and Jordan here, very normally, whatever, American. <laughs> whatever that means uh but yeah on that, top of the five years that he was talking like that while he's been with wwe right exactly all of a it, sudden, it, i don't i don't know why they did that um but yes apollo cruz they like he says a lot of kendo sticks a lot of stairs things which actually i'm pretty sure one of them got fucked up on themselves for real a couple times uh yeah. <laughs> they had some i was like i was like oh yeah. yeah that was a nasty bump for sure um and Apollo Crews ends up winning the belt off of Big E. Mm. It, it seems bad at first because it's like, why the fuck would you do that? But Big E 
now has an opportunity to chase Roman Reigns if he wants. And that is my prediction that they took this belt off of Big E because he is superstar enough and big enough stature wise to chase someone like Roman Reigns. It seems like they'll go in that direction. I'm honestly just upset they didn't use any of those drums. They, they definitely should use the drum. They called it a Nigerian drum fight, but not a single drum was used. Also didn't know that kendo sticks and gongs were Nigerian. They had yeah, those out there for some yeah, reason. Was, there was a gong out there. They, uh, I feel like they made that up, but yeah, maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Like, okay. Maybe there was drum. like people playing the drum. I don't know. Um, I think we're giving them too much credit. They didn't think that much into it. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, put, they, they, they put some shit out there because it looked good. Kendo sticks, bro. That they ain't nothing Nigerian about that bullshit. They just put that yeah. out there as a weapon. But they mm-hmm. they could have used a drum. They really could have. Could, like, they could have used a drum. Absolutely. I agree. Um, let's talk about the main event though. I think we got a yes. Uh, Great match. Roman Reigns defeats Edge and Daniel Bryan. At Triple threat time. match for the Universal Championship. Um, main event of night two. And um, this was the match of the weekend for me personally, like, you know, from a from a um, mm-hmm. obviously a historical standpoint and a sentimental standpoint, Bianca yeah. and Sasha, I always remember that. And that was special. But just like in terms of the match itself, this was my favorite match of the weekend. Mm-hmm. It was it was a it was a damn entertaining match. And I think it was. Yeah. booked. it was booked almost perfectly, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roman being a true heel. Um, yeah, through, and through as he as he has been, but I mean, he is clearly the heel, and he's getting booed, you know. Oh at, yeah, at, at the stadium, which thank like yes, you should be booing him. Uh, that's the great thing. Um, Edge is also supposed to be heel, but he, I mean, people just love him too much. He's a legend. He got the biggest. He probably got the biggest pop of the whole weekend. To be honest, his pop was crazy. Um, yeah. Daniel Bryan, there was a lot of mixed reactions. Um, but I think that they just all three worked together so well. There were a lot of um, surprises, but they were good surprises. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the false finishes, I, I really criticized them a lot for overusing false finishes, but I thought that they made sense here. There were mm-hmm. good false finishes that continued to build on top of each other with the story. The violence was there. The interruptions from Jey Uso, you know, being the right-hand man for Roman Reigns, really good stuff. Obviously, again, playing into those heel tendencies. Yeah. Um, the length, they got great time, 21 minutes, 40 seconds. That's a, mm. a great time. Not overly long, not a 35-minute match, but that's just like a that's a great sweet spot. Um, there, there were stairs, there were chairs, there were tables. They, they, they did, they did a lot. I really, yeah. really enjoyed this match. And then, of course, at the end of it, Roman Reigns with the biggest "fuck you" to <laughs> anybody ever. Oh boy! Literally covered them both at the same time. Pull, pull Edge's body on top of Daniel Bryan and and covers them both at the same time. I mean, just cementing his dominance, his, mm-hmm. his most recent run here. So I, I really enjoyed this one. This was this was a great match. Acknowledge me. Um, this man. He's okay. So this is the match that they've clearly been working on the most and it shows uh, week to week. Y'all, I mean, they've been doing a great job. I have to say uh, ever since Edge did win um, the Royal Rumble, it's just been up ever since they've been building up Daniel Bryan perfectly. I mean, there was the, the elimination chamber and then he had to fight Roman Reigns that same night and then he gets is. They've been killing this, y'all. And then they had to um, even Dan Bryan had to kind of fight his way into 
the 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 match itself which just happened like a week yeah. ago they've it's just been great this is this is how you build up a, a, a triple threat this is how you do it um i think that the, again the reason they don't use them much week to week is, is for moments like this where to make the triple threat seem like the like this is this this is the moment and they they rose to the occasion for sure man uh i think it's easy to it's safe to say at this point again roman reigns he's had one of the best heel runs i've ever seen again i've been watching wrestling a long time i've never seen oh you say ever like i said close yeah like top he's he's talking he's talking top five at this point as long as he's had this belt as long as he's had this belt do you know how long he's had this i don't know man if we did some if we did some that's if we do some if we do some 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 number games and some he bro he's he's been killing this Uh, no he he no i i i I agree that that this is the best run of his career like for sure oh his career for sure yeah, the, the, he's he's easily in his prime right now. Um, I you said ever a, like he a like heel, he'll run a heel with the belt. He's know, had man. this belt for a long time. He has, but I I don't know I don't know if that speaks to the quality. I mean, no. I, so let me let me distinguish. It's a it, it is a great run, and he's held the mm-hmm. belt for a long time. It is a quality run, but for me. I can st- I can e- I for me I can still pick I can definitely pick five more that I'm like oh this is this was on I might level. I might feel like that too but I I feel like I'd have bias you know I have to I have to look at it from the outside that's the only way I could do it I, yeah. you got to give me give me some years give me like let him lose the belt give me some years after that and I'll revisit yeah because it's not done either right there's still yeah more yeah because it's not done yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so let, so I'm gonna do that but uh he he's just really killing it right now. And um, he uh, he even cemented, you know, he just pinned two dudes at once. I know we got the whole he, he let the pit bull loose thing with Jey Uso and stuff that did happen. But he's a heel. Right. What else do you expect? But even then, he had a great match. He did. He had a great match. Edge with the concerto. So if y'all if y'all don't know, they they're not allowed to hit people in the head with chairs anymore because of CTE. So if you watch wrestling nowadays, you'll see them use the back a lot. They'll use the chair and hit him in the back. Edge said, fuck all that bullshit. We <laughs> are doing a concerto. <laughs> and he was hitting these niggas with chairs, with a chair, with them, with their heads laying on chairs and hit them, their heads into that chair with a chair. Um, so it, 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 like you said, it was a lot going on. It was a great match. Um, the, the, the false pins, false wins. Uh, like you said, they built on top of each other. It was just a great match overall, man. Daniel Bryan, the whole, the whole cross face, Double thing. <laughs> that was great. That, that was, was great. great. The the even the chair breaking and them using a part of the chair um on, on the ring was dope. They just had a they had a lot of good ideas and um they had the the story to back it up. Um a lot of things make this match great, but well very, very well done from WWE here between both the writing and the performances across the board. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it was overall it was a, it was a pretty good WrestleMania. Now, just sort of to close out, you know, with with this discussion, um, they're going back to one night next year. Um, what do you I, what do you prefer? Do you prefer two nights that are a little bit shorter? Because the like minus the rain delay that happened on night one, night mm-hmm. one would have also been three hours and some change. Night two was three hours and some change. So a lot more digestible night to night. 
instead of one night where, you know, in the past like five years, the show's been like seven hours long. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if they'll ever experiment with two nights again. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. It'll always create the conversation of like, well, which night was better night one or night two. And I think a lot of people, you know, watching this felt like night one was better. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you prefer? Just like as a viewing experience, do you like two nights or do you just want it all in one shot? Even if it's seven hours and it might be brutal as hell, just give it to you once. You know, if if the card is decent enough to like, I mean, a beast in card, man. I mean, um, because low key they can do it. People are starting to come back more. COVID, I think the writing's getting back to where it used to be. Uh, they they really are getting better as a as a as a um, as an entity. If they can ramp it up enough, two might be cool. Two short nights could be a good time. It makes it feel like quote unquote mania even though it's always been wrestlemania but can you imagine just always being a weekend you know what i mean where it's like no this is wrestlemania it almost feels like a conference at that point you know i feel mm-hmm. like i feel like they can start they can build around that too even though it doesn't start to later in the day during the day have make it a conference have panels have people talking you know what i mean like have have uh i don't know more vendors and t-shirts and things like that i think if you if you build it around make it like that two days is I think it's genius. Um, even three start Friday, you know, uh, like I said, have panels, watch, watch documentaries in the lot on the big TV with, uh, on a big projector. You know, I think they can do really dope things if they decided to make it two nights. Um, not just the mania itself. Um, outside of that, if they can't do that, I would prefer one. I think like if I'm going in person and there's not, Two nights just feels like a, it could feel like a lot, even though I'm there for a long time on the seven hour day. Uh, I've, I'm thinking like, OK, if I'm a tourist, right, and if I'm out of town, do I really want to be here two days for two nights that they, they probably could have put in one? You know, I don't know. Uh, that's just, just kind of what I think. I think I I think if, if the card isn't as stacked and it's not that experience kind of talked about you know, where there's other things to do, you can just give it to me in one night and I might be good because the night before I could be out with my boys doing something else in a city I've never been to, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, stuff like that. So that's what I think. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, I've been to, I've been to four WrestleManias at this point and mm-hmm. one night. That's that's what I would want. We keep it to one night because I don't want I don't want my entire experience in a new city to be completely taken over by wrestling just straight up that you know it's nothing wrong with that like I, if, if we're going to a new city we want a whole complete experience so like to have our saturday free and our friday free you know and you know all that like they could do two nights nobody's holding a gun in my head to go to both nights you know we, right. we could just be like we're not going to saturday but it was it was still kind of you know feel a little weird mm-hmm. to just go to one night so mm-hmm. i'm fine with one night uh but the seven hour shit just gotta stop like that's just not they mm-hmm. they really really gotta get that Cause that's, that's a lot. That's asking a yeah. lot of anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. So I know it's going back to one night, you know, moving ahead. At least that's what they, they told us just sitting there for that long, expecting people to sit not only in a stadium for that long. Cause every single time I've been, I've spaced out for mm-hmm. many, many portions of it. Cause it's just a lot, you know? And yeah, I don't like the shit that much, bro. Like I love it, but not to sit seven. I don't want to sit seven hours for really anything, you know? So that's true. Um, I think I think that they should really, really figure that out. But we'll we'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see how it all works out. I think that they learned some lessons from this two night structure that hopefully they can implement in the future. So we'll see how things shake out. But it'll be in Dallas next year and then LA the year after that. So oh boy. 
they got some great cities that they'll be going to. So it'll be it'll be really Both. cool to see what happens with WrestleMania in the future. But those are our thoughts on WrestleMania 37. Just ran down both nights, night one and night two of the card. And that's all we got, man, for this week. We are officially down and out for episode 43 of Two Black Nerds. As always, it's been a pleasure to talk to y'all and to come to y'all this week to talk about all the latest and greatest in the world of fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. Follow us on social media at Two Black Nerds, and we will be back next week, of course, to talk about the latest episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and whatever else drops, because I'm sure something will just come up and we'll just happen to tune in and see it and be like, oh, yeah, we got to talk about that on the show because um, there are still some movies coming out. But that's all we got, man. You want to remind people about upcoming movie nights that we got coming down the pipeline real soon? Yes, yes, yes. I will just talk about um, the next movie night, which will be Mortal Kombat on April the 23rd, y'all. Again, it's very important to note that this movie changed dates. It was April the 16th, but that will now be April 23rd. We'll be watching that on Friday, April the 23rd, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Central. And that is Mortal Kombat. Um, again, that that's it. That's all we have for the week. Uh, Mortal Kombat should be great, by the way. <laughs> uh, we appreciate y'all, man. Love y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace.